Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. All right? Play hard. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports. What's up, man? Wendell Wallace with you, Wendell's World of Sports. I hope everybody is doing well. I hope everybody is feeling great. I hope everybody is having a fantastic day whenever you're listening to this. I hope that you are a better person than you were a second ago, a minute ago, a year ago, a thought ago, a feeling ago, an opinion ago. I hope everybody is doing well and I hope everybody is feeling the love and the unity and the harmony that we need to have for this country, for this world to move forward in the right direction on many different things. Today in the world of sports, I'm going to be discussing some coaches, athletes, sports leagues continue to speak out on the racial injustice of black Americans throughout this country, particularly when it comes to racist, violent, discriminating practices of policing office of police officers across this country. Now, in the NFL, NFL commissioner Roger Goodell issued, some people say finally, some people say forcefully, but issued a statement saying that he will be willing to participate in working for change. Here is Commissioner Goodell. I guess from his man cave in his in his home over in over in I'm super rich New York speaking about it. It has been a difficult time for our country, in particular black people in our country. First, my condolences to families of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and all the families who have endured police brutality. We, the National Football League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. We, the National Football League, admit we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. We, the National Football League, believe black lives matter. I personally protest with you and want to be part of the much needed change in this country. Without black players, there would be no National Football League. And the protests around the country are emblematic of the centuries of silence, inequality, and oppression of black players, coaches, fans, and staff. We are listening. I am listening. And I will be reaching out to players who have raised their voices and others on how we can improve and go forward for a better and more united NFL family. It's been a difficult time for people in this country, particularly black people in this country. He gave condolences to the families of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and all the families who have endured police brutality, said the NFL condemns racism and systematic oppression against black people. And he said, we, not me, but we, the National Football League admit that they were wrong in not listening to the black players earlier and encouraged them to peacefully protest. And he said the NFL believes that black lives matter. So personally, you know, I guess the next question is going to be, well, I mean, how much of that is bullshit? How much of that is nonsense? How much of that is sincere? How much of that is coming from Goodell? How much of that is coming from the owners? Who do you believe in this situation? Look, man, personally, you know, I'm, I'm, 
I'm down with what the commissioner is saying. He was talking about he's going to personally protest with those folks and he wants to be part of the much needed change in this society. And he said that, you know, at least he said that we are listening and he will be reaching out to players who have raised their voices and others on how they'll go forward for a better and united NFL family. Okay, look, I mean, number one, I'm glad that he actually came out with a video. I'm actually just like Drew Brees when he had the, you know, recompense for his misdeeds, this ignorant and tone deaf and unaware statements that he made about, you know, you need to stand up and do all this with the flag or else I have nothing to do to do with you. I'm glad that the commissioner, again, didn't make a statement, didn't do it on YouTube or excuse me, didn't do it on Instagram or didn't use uh, anything else. He got in front of the camera. He looked people in the eye and said, look, this is what I'm about. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm talking about. And he apologized. He apologized. And some are critical of Goodell for not mentioning the name Colin Kaepernick and in his admission that the league was wrong for not backing the players' right to protest. And I understand that, but I also will give Goodell this in terms of why he didn't mention Colin Kaepernick's name is saying to Colin Kaepernick, I am truly sorry. I'm quite sure that the statement that he made had to be approved by the owners before making it. And I'm quite sure those owners, maybe not all of them, but I'm quite sure the majority of them said, you know what, uh, you can go ahead and do that, but just make sure I can, if you're going to go ahead and make a statement like that, or you need to make a statement like that, you don't, don't sit there and say, Colin Kaepernick, we're sorry. And Colin Kaepernick, we're going to give you a job back or Colin Kaepernick, we're going to give you an opportunity. Don't say anything with the name Colin Kaepernick on it. So I'm quite sure before we got to see the video of Roger Goodell explaining you know, that we're sorry and we're going to be moving forward and Black Lives Matter and all those type of things. I'm quite sure that video was first seen by some of the hierarchies or some of the bigwigs of the NFL owners to kind of take a look at that and say, okay, that's good. That's good. Go ahead and um, go ahead and bring that out to the public. You're good. You're good with that. So listen, I believe Roger Goodell in the statement that he made. Now, we'll see, one thing that people have always, when they criticize Roger Goodell or they say that he's racist or they say that he's a plantation owner and all these other disparaging remarks about Roger Goodell, and as a commissioner, Roger Goodell has been far from perfect. Let's put it that way. I'm not here to defend Roger Goodell or talk about, you know, what a wonderful job that he's done as a commissioner. There has been some blunders that Roger Goodell on his watch has made, and he will admit to that. I'm quite sure that he would admit to it. But one thing that people forget when they criticize him is that Roger Goodell, he's nothing more than an NFL employee. Now, he's a powerful one, a well-compensated one, a high-ranking employee, but yet an employee nonetheless. He gets his paychecks from the NFL owners. And there's been multitude of reports that Goodell actually wanted Kaepernick back in the league. He wants to see more minority coaches, GM, presidents of football operations, offensive coordinators, those those men of color, women and others who are being put into a pipeline to see what they can do to move up to those positions to where they can get hired in terms of coaches and GMs and football operations and such, positions of power in the NFL hierarchy. I think that Goodell has been a guy who has been trying to work in terms of getting those opportunities for blacks and Hispanics and others more available more sincere, more genuine. There was an interesting or, uh, story that I read on CNN.com. And it was about Goodell and his efforts of making a positive difference in getting Kaepernick back into the league. It was written by Joe Lockhart, L-O-C-K-H-A-R-D. And he was the league's executive vice president in charge of communications and government affairs from 
2016 to 2018. And now, according to the piece that was written by Lockhart, he said that Goodell tried to persuade teams and their league and their uh, owners to change their minds and have Kaepernick on their team. It was because of Goodell that the league sent owners and players around the country to try to lead a dialogue on race relations. During the past offseason, Goodell has participated in several long conference calls with leaders of the newly formed Players Coalition in discussing how to use the NFL's platform to promote racial justice in America. He's worked with players to come up with a plan to commit nearly $100 million to the uh, to use the platform, the NFL platform, to heighten racial disparities. This is not a situation where Goodell has been the forefront in terms of why black coaches haven't been hired, why there hasn't been any black GMs, why there hasn't been any black offensive coordinators, why Colin Kaepernick is not in the league. According to this report, according to this story, and who am I to sit there and call Joe Lockhart a liar when he's actually been there, when he was actually in the fray? That yes, he has been a guy as far as, far as uh, Goodell is concerned to go out there and try to get Colin Kaepernick back into the NFL or at least give the man an opportunity. But then again, as I mentioned before, Roger Goodell is nothing more than an employee. And as an employee, there's only so far that you can go. There's only so far that you can take it with these owners. And if you're dealing with these billionaire owners who are old, who are white, who are stuck in their ways, who come from a different background, who come from a different thought philosophy, who are business owners to the nth degree. They are the LeBron James, shall we say. They are the mixture of LeBron James and Michael Jordan when it comes to business acumen. Jerry Jones didn't become a billionaire because he was stupid. Stephen Ross didn't become a billionaire because he got lucky. Bob Kraft didn't become a billionaire because someone gave him money. That was only the idiot in the White House who had that advantage. I mean, these guys who made their Arthur Blank, all of these guys, these guys are of the 1% of this world when it comes to business dealings, businessmen. They're not going to let some guy named Roger Goodell come over there and tell them what needs to be done, what needs to be approved. No, 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 no. They, 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 they are the one walking the dog. It ain't the other way around when it comes to this situation. So Roger Goodell can beg and can plead and can make his argument on why they need to give Colin Kaepernick a job, but it wasn't him who was, or speaking of, it wasn't Goodell who was denying Kaepernick the opportunity. It was the owners. And a little bit later on, I'll explain to you why the main reason why Kaepernick wasn't able to get a job back and how why he still hasn't been able to get a job back even though that might be a change in that we don't know I'll discuss that again a little bit later on but just to get back so when Goodell comes out and says in this video you know what I believe that black lives matter and I'm going to be part of the change and you know we're going to be working together to bring racial uh, harmony and un unity and all those type of things yeah he can go ahead and do that and he can be a strong advocate and he can walk and he can march and he can protest and he can meet and he can do all these type of things to see what he can do to move the needle in terms of the diversity and the acceptance and the opportunities that black folks and other minorities might have to become uh, employees of power in these football franchises or in the NFL office. But then again, it's not his final decision. So when people are sitting there, you know, lambasting and, and poo-pooing and disrespecting Roger Goodell, it ain't him who's had the NFL in this precarious situation. The NFL had a problem with hiring minorities long before Roger Goodell became commissioner of the NFL. These problems in terms of the race relations and with the, the, the um, everything dealing with the uh, NFL in terms of, you know, race and that type of thing, those things didn't 
come up when Roger Goodell became the owner or became the commissioner of the NFL. So I'm willing to give, I'm willing to take Commissioner Goodell at his word. Again, I'm not the president of the Roger Goodell fan club, and I'll readily admit that there has been some missteps, some miscues in his uh, commissionership. But hey, man, there's only one person that's ever been perfect in this world. They they nailed him to a cross. So as long as the man is sincere and if he is showing things or if he's doing things to try to promote racial unity and harmony, and more importantly, if you want to promote racial uh, unity and togetherness and harmony, start hiring some black folks. That's not Goodell's final call. Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. One thing that I have seen, though, and why... When Goodell, <clears throat> NFL conditioner, conditioner, conditioner and shampoo, Roger Goodell, the commissioner, said that um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do all these things and why I take him seriously, seriously like that. If you take a look at his track record in terms of his punishment on dealing with the uh, punishment and uh, when he was commis- when he's commissioner of the NFL, he hasn't shown any bias or favoritism and dealing out punishment based on race or profile or what type of player you are, if you're a star player or not, or you're just a secondary player or a practice squad player. Hey, he suspended Ben Roethlisberger, the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback, six games, later reduced to four. But he suspended him six games in 2010 for violating the league's personal conduct policy. There was a a week after prosecutors decided not to charge him in a case involving a 20-year-old college student, remember that, who accused him of sexually assaulting her at a Georgia nightclub, remember that, when Ben Roethlisberger was out of control during that time? And, you know, the commissioner said, look, even though there wasn't, even though he wasn't charged with anything, the fact that he's embarrassing the league like he is, I'm not going to just slap him on the wrist and bring him to my office and poo-poo him, yell at him and scream at him. I'm going to suspend him for six games. I'm going to hit him where it hurts. Six games reduced to four without pay. Ben Roethlisberger, Super Bowl winning quarterback for one of these historic franchises, not just in the NFL, but in North American sports, speaking about the Pittsburgh Steelers. In 2016, Goodell suspended, if you remember, Tom Brady, the golden boy Tom Brady, the untouchable one Tom Brady, the face of the league Tom Brady, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes Tom Brady. Goodell suspended him four games in 2016, suspended him without pay for his involvement based on substantial and credible evidence that Brady knew the Patriots employees were deflating footballs and that he failed to cooperate with investigators. I remember that time that Goodell was getting killed. He was getting destroyed. This is outrageous. This is terrible. This is horrible. This is just, you know, him wielding too much power. I mean, he's going up against his good buddy, Bob Kraft, the owner of the Patriots. I mean, what is Goodell doing? He's burying, you know, he's burying himself in his own grave in terms of his commissionership moving forward. This is awful. This is terrible. He could have easily let that go, or he could have easily had some type of other punishment. You just maybe could have fined the New England Patriots. But to do this to Tom Brady? I remember that whole situation. Roger Goodell was raked over the coals for that. But you know what? He stuck to his guns. He said, this is what we need to do, and we're going to do it. And I remember at the time saying, hey, black players now, you all, y'all can't be talking about Roger Goodell has favoritism or shows bias and this, that, and the other. Because if he's willing to suspend Tom Brady four games over this over the notion that he knew that the Patriots employees were deflating footballs, if he's going to be suspended four games over that nonsense, could you imagine if in the climate that we live in now, that if he did that to a black player of, of any uh, precedence, she and Al Sharpton would have lost his mind. So 
In a situation like this, it's like, all right, I remember that. I remember the suspension that you handed out to Ben Roethlisberger, Commissioner Goodell. I remember the way that you handled the Tom Brady situation, not just suspending him for four games, but sticking to your guns and continue to uphold that ruling when everybody, black, white, player, owner, everybody, media members, everybody was coming at you talking about you were too heavy-handed and this suspension was ridiculous. He stuck to his guns, didn't waver one iota. Okay, that resonates with me. That shows to me some credibility. That shows me that there's some sincerity in some of the words that you say moving forward. He suspended Commissioner Goodell. He suspended, remember when he suspended Sean Payton for the entire 2012 season? meeting out unprecedented punishment for a crush-to-cash bounty system that he had with the New Orleans Saints that targeted key opposing players. He suspended Peyton for the entire season. So, yes, you know what he did with Michael Vick in terms of suspending him, but guess what? After he was suspended, and there's really no choice because, you know, Vick had to spend some time in Leavenworth, Leavenworth, but when he came back, Goodell opened him, you know, embraced him, brought him back into the league, gave him an opportunity to play in terms of, you know, letting him be available to owners. Andy Reid gave him the opportunity to play. He's done that multiple times, you know, during his commissionership. And it shows me that, you know what, Goodell is not going to be one of these guys who's going to be swayed by public opinion, who's going to be swayed by, you know, what the stature is of the player. I mean, he's going to weed out and he's going to give out the – suspensions and the fines and the punishment uh, that he feels necessary. So from that point, when Goodell then goes ahead and says, you know what, I want to be part of the solution. I want to be the person that's going to help lead change in this country and this society. I believe him. I really do. I believe him. Now, you can call me ridiculous. You can call me dumb. You can call me stupid. I'm quite sure that you've called me a lot more than that for other things other than my opinion about the sincerity of Roger Goodell, but in this instance, in this situation, I believe him. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I'm so glad that you could be listening. I'm so glad that you took the time to do this. So I do believe that Roger Goodell is interested in change and bringing forth unity and harmony and bringing forth change in terms of bringing in more minority coaches and GMs and those who are of, of powerful positions. I do believe that Goodell is sincere in that. I don't believe, though, the NFL owners believe what Roger Goodell was saying, or at least all of what Roger Goodell was saying. The NFL owners have the power, and they're not willing to relinquish or, or capitulate in anything that they don't want to do. So none of the owners, you haven't seen in the NBA, you've had uh, Mark Cuban come out and say some things in other sports. You've had some other folks come out of high um, positions and owners come out and say some things. I have not yet heard from one of the owners publicly comment on this yet. And when they do, you know what it's going to be, whether it's from the owners as far as a group is concerned or individual owners, you know what their statement is going to be. I doubt any of these guys are going to get in front of a camera. Maybe Jerry Jones, because he loves the camera so much, maybe he'll go ahead and do that. But you take a look at the majority of these NFL owners who don't like to get in front of cameras and give interviews and give thought, their thoughts and statements and what they're feeling anyway, even when things are going their greatest, maybe with the exception of, like I mentioned before, Jerry Jones and, uh, and Bob Kraft. Other than those two, I mean, can you even name 10 more owners in the NFL? I mean, maybe you could name the Dan Snyder of my Washington Snyder skins. Maybe you can name Mark Davis, who's going to be 
you know, he was the owner of the now Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, maybe, oh, shoot, what's the name of the guy in Jacksonville? Shaka Khan? Oh, I know I always say Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan, let me rock you, Shaka Khan. Damn it, I know his last name is Khan, but every time I say Khan, it's Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, let me, let me rock you, Shaka Khan. Um, but, he, I mean, him a little bit. Stephen Ross is the owner of the Miami Dolphins. Ziggy Wolf is the owner of the Minnesota Vikings. Arthur Blank is the owner of the Atlanta Falcons. This new guy, Dave Somebody Tepper. I think Dave Tepper is the owner of the Carolina Panthers. Um, not the Barlows don't own the Yorks. Jet York, I think, is the owner of the San Francisco uh, 49ers. Who is the Stan Kroenke? Is the owner of the LA Rams? But for the most part, I kind of follow this stuff, and I'm this is kind of like half made my job and my passion. So I'm, I'm I guess I'm kind of embarrassed that I don't, I don't know more of the NFL owners off the top of my head. The McCaskies own the Chicago Bears. The Fords own the Detroit Lions. Woody Johnson, I guess one of the Johnson owns the New York Jets. Who the fuck owns the New York Giants? The Maras. The Maras own the um, New York Giants. Jeffrey Lurie owns the Philadelphia Eagles. Who owns the Buffalo Bills? New group. Um, oh, Terry somebody. I forgot. I think that he owns the Buffalo Bills. Stephen Ross owns the Dolphins. Kraft owns the, the New England Patriots. Jacksonville, Tennessee. Who owns the Tennessee Titans? Shit, I don't know. But you get my drift. Those guys aren't jumping in front of cameras to give your thoughts, their thoughts and opinions on things. So whenever these guys finally are pressured to give a statement on what's going on, you know it's going to be something very vanilla. It's going to be empty in terms of what their thoughts and feelings are concerned. It's going to be by the book. It's going to be basic. Yes, what happened in Minneapolis is horrible. Police brutality is wrong. Nobody should be treated that way if they shouldn't be. We stand behind unity and togetherness, and we're not racist, and we're working for a better place to live in, blah, blah, blah. I mean, a bunch of stuff. You know, as James Brown would say, talking loud and saying nothing. Talking louder and saying nothing. Jerry Jones is talking louder and saying nothing. Jeffrey Larry is talking louder and saying nothing. Daniel Snyder saying nothing. Say what? Saying nothing. That's basically what it's going to be about. So, in his message, in Goodell's message, he did address, he didn't address the national anthem, the American flag, or kneeling. Again, that's a call from the owners. I think the owners are like, well, go out there, talk about the rah-rah in terms of we're down with BLM. I'm quite sure. I wonder if that was a unanimous thing to say Black Lives Matter. I wonder if all the owners were okay with that statement. Again, I'm going on the assumption that the owners kind of had a heads up or kind of took a look at what Goodell was going to say before the rest of us had an opportunity to hear or to see what he said. So I'm wondering if any of the owners who was like, man, wait a minute, he's going to be talking about Black Lives Matter? I don't know, man. Do you think he should go ahead and say that, blah, blah, blah? I wonder if, you know, they had that type of discussion amongst each other or amongst their super-duper rich friends. So, you know, again, Goodell's message, I mean, you know, people are starting to pick this apart, and he should have said this, and he should have done that. I'm under, I'm going to go under the, you know, lack of knowledge from my part that, you know what, some of the things I'm quite sure that he wanted to say, Probably he knew that he couldn't say because the owners wouldn't approve. So for those who want to sit there and, you know, poop 
poo-poo that. Roger Goodell's making $44 million uh, a year from the NFL. If someone gave you $44 million, I'm quite sure you would do the same thing. Don't sit up and talk about, fuck that, man. I'll go ahead and do that, and I would defy my bosses and defy my owners, and if I get fired, to hell with it, blah, blah, blah. Now, when someone was giving you $44 million a year, what do you want me to say? I'll go ahead and say it. You betcha. You betcha. So moving forward, as far as the owners are concerned, what is going to be their response? Because if you're talking about change, if you're talking about real change, if you're talking about the NFL owners, it's all on their lap. Again, Goodell is an employee. There's only so much he can do. This relies on the owners. What are they going to do? Now, their buddy, this jackass, jackass that's in the White House right now, what's going to be the response after their, their idiot, that idiot in the White House, tweeted, after Goodell's statement, I have it here. He said the tweet the, the tweet is from number 45. Could it be even remotely possible that in Roger Goodell's rather interesting statement of peace and reconciliation, he was intimating that it would now be okay for the players to kneel or not to stand for the national anthem, thereby disrespecting our country and our flag. You fucking race-baiting, amoral piece of shit. You know, everybody knows, again, how many times do we have to tell these motherfuckers that no, that wasn't the reason why Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed and everybody else was kneeling for the national anthem. But we know your fan base, we know the brainless sheep, we know the uneducated trailer park trash who vote for you will fall hook, line, and sinker with your stupidity in terms of disrespecting our national anthem and our flag from this. Thankfully, Drew Brees, when that asshole tried to use Drew Brees as a tool to try to make his point that Drew Brees was like, no, no, I'm not having any of that bullshit. No, I'm not going to go along with that. No, maybe your buddies, Tom Brady and Tiger Woods might sit back and say nothing, but no, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to make my intentions clear. I'm going to make my thought patterns clear. I'm going to let my newly formed enlightenment and education shine through. You're not going to be using me as a pawn. You fucking piece of shit. So, yeah. So, what are... Excuse me. What are his buddies, Jerry Jones and others, going to say after this? Well, I'm going to tell you this right now. Let me explain to you billionaires who know a lot more about making money and doing all these things than I'll ever know. Let me explain something to you, man. This is a new day. New day, new age, new century, new time, new thought pattern, new feelings, new everything. The owners are going to have to back down in terms of any rhetoric concerning players not giving the player the protection or the opportunity to peacefully protest. And I'm sorry for all you fucking assholes out there who still don't get it in terms of why kneeling during the national anthem or in front of the flag is not considered anti-American. It's not disrespecting. You know what? If you still don't get it, fuck you. I don't give a fuck. We're moving forward. You can stay behind. Because hopefully now, moving forward, in terms of unity and harmony and all these other things that people have been preaching about, that people have been talking about, number one, for those corporations and for these, you know, Ford's 500 companies and all these folks who are making billions upon billions of dollars with these large companies, hopefully, when you talk about Black Lives Matter and we need equality and everybody, this, that, and the other, Start showing it with your actions. Start showing it with your hiring practices. Start showing it with the people that you promote. Start showing it that way. You know, don't don't talk about it. Do action about it. It's nice for some of these folks who, again, own these, you know, 
companies who make billions upon billions of dollars. It's not to sit there and say, yeah, we're down with black folks and we're down with the cause and we're going to do anything that we can to help promote racial unity and harmony and opportunity. And we're no longer going to turn a blind eye when the black folks in the black community and the brown community and the poor community talk about some of the strife and some of the pains and some of the anguish and some of the oppression and some of the discrimination that they go through. Yeah, we're down. We're going to hear it. We're going to be receptive to it and all those type of things. Don't give us that bullshit. And then when I take a look at your hiring practices or when I take a look at those who are up in management or those who are on the board of directors, they're all old white males. Don't give me that bullshit because that's empty promises. That's nonsense. That's that's deflection. That's bullshit. You know, so for all of these guys, don't sit there and talk about we're down for the cause and then, and then do nothing about it with your hiring practices. Show me something about it. And that's the same thing with the NFL owners. Whenever these guys come out and talk about, yeah, but we're not racist. What are you talking about? We're down with the cause. We want to be part of the solution. Yeah, I mean, we're going to try to see what we can do to make things better and to give opportunities. Don't go around and say that. And then three years later, there's only four black coaches in the NFL. Don't go ahead and say that and talk about there's only two GMs uh, hired in the NFL. Don't sit there and say that bullshit about how we're going to be down with everything and only have two offensive coordinators. Don't sit there and tell me about how you're down for racial change and we want to do everything humanly possible. And out of 10 potential head coach hirings, you only hire two black folks and eight white guys. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that because that's bullshit. So in terms of the long-term commitment, don't show me with your, don't tell me about it. Show me about it. And that doesn't come down to Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell can't go to Jerry Jones or he can't go to Jeffrey Lurie or he can't go to Stan Kroenke. He can't go to, who owns the Seattle Seahawks? Shit, because Paul Allen died. One of his kids, his wife, one of the family members. I don't know. Well, basically, Roger Goodell can't go to them and say, hey, look, you got to hire a black person. I mean, you can't do that. You know, he can't go to, um, he can't go to the Fords and say, hey, look, you know, for your next GM, you got to hire a black guy. They're going to say, get the fuck out of my face. I'll hire anybody who I want to, including uh, commissioner of the NFL. So, I mean, there's <clears throat> a situation where it's going to be coming down to those guys. And what are they going to do? First thing, and this is just the olive branch. This is just the, okay, maybe there's a small chance. There's just a sliver of hope is that they disregard what their asshole piece of shit, amoral, racist, misogynistic buddy in the White House says. And they say, no, no, fuck you, man. We're going to go ahead. And if players want to peacefully protest by dealing during the national anthem, then we're going to go ahead and do that. Because guess what, y'all? I know this is shocking. I know for a certain section of America in this world, I know this is going to be hard to understand. I know this is going to be unbelievable. I know this is going to be something that you might not want to recognize. But it's not like with the spotlight that was shown on Minnesota in terms of what happened to George Floyd, guess what? This shit is still going on. Black men are still being murdered by the cops. Black people are still being harassed by the cops. Black people in poor areas and in areas, period, are still having their civil liberties taken away and disrespected by cops. What happened after the protesting and what happened after the George Floyd situation, all of a sudden now, we didn't do a 180 and now cops are now our friends or the decent cops are now taking over or those who are supposed to be police or peace officers are now coming to the forefront and stepping up and saying some things. If you saw what happened in Buffalo, if you've seen the police actions 
uh, during some of these protests that they've had. If you still see black folks being shot for no reason, or you see black folks still being violated for no reason, there was an instance, I think in New Jersey, where there was a piece of shit cop, a white cop who had his knee on the neck of, of someone that he was arresting. So this is a situation where it's like, look, Minnesota, what happened in Minnesota, what happened in, uh, with George Floyd, they put him in the ground uh, a couple of days ago. That's going to go away. I mean, that's something else is going to come along in terms of what's going to take our attention away from what happened with George Floyd and what happened in terms of what we need to do to continue to promote uh, peace and unity and coming together and those type of things. That's going to end in terms of the angle from what happened with George Floyd in Minneapolis. So what's going to be going on once training camp opens? What's going to be going on when the summer hits and we see what's going to be happening with this COVID-19? What's going to be happening in terms of the, the, the passion and the energy and the effort and the uh, con concentration on this matter of brutality and coming together and Black Lives Matter and all those type of things? What is the energy? What is the focus? What's going to be the urgent level? When the summer happens and we start seeing what type of a situation we're going to be in for the fall. And once I mentioned before in the NFL, once the season starts and we're going to be dealing with, you know, owners are going to be losing money because I'm going to be guessing that when the season starts, whenever it starts, hopefully it'll start in early September on time, that there's going to be some situations where, you know what, because of the COVID-19 that's going to be taken some precedent. What about the players sitting in the? What about the fact that they're going to be not playing in front of uh, fans or very few fans? What in terms of the social distancing as far as the players on the sideline are concerned? What about this COVID-19 in terms of the strength coach and the offensive coordinator and the head coach who are, are of age that they might be susceptible to this virus? What's going to be happening? Those things are going to have to be dealt with. Those things are going to have to be talked about. Those are serious, serious problems that the NFL are going to be dealing with when they decide to start the season in terms of the preseason. If they're going to be a preseason, what about OTAs? What about training camps and all these type of things? These are true, sincere issues that the NFL needs to concentrate on. So they can't dedicate 100% of their time, 90% of their time, 80% of their time on what's going down in terms of the police brutality in Minnesota or what happened to George Floyd or what happened to Breonna Taylor or what happened to Armand Arbery. The NFL, that's not their job. I mean, sometimes I think that the NFL, we're asking a little bit too much of the NFL to be social justice warriors. They're not social justice warriors. They're, they're a vehicle. They're something for our entertainment. That's what the NFL is all about. They're our entertainment vehicle vessel. That's what they're there for. I'm not asking Stephen Ross. I'm not asking Jerry Jones. I'm not asking Jeffrey Lurie. I'm not asking any of those guys to go ahead and change the way society is all about. I'm not asking those guys to become Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and H. Rap Brown and Huey Newton all wrapped into one. I'm not asking for those guys to do that. All I'm asking for, if you're going to be owning a company, if you're going to be owning a business, something as powerful as owning an NFL franchise, hey man, do us the bare bones favor and just work on your minority, uh, hiring minority practices. Just, just work on that. Just work on trying to make the business in the organization that you own Make it fair for everybody. Don't don't worry about, you know, trying to stamp out police brutality. Don't try to, you know, work on trying to make everybody, you know, love one another and come together and regardless of race, creed, and color. Don't worry about this stuff, man. And I think sometimes that we kind of get things mixed up in terms of what are the responsibilities of these of these guys. 
These guys are billionaires, man. These guys are old, the majority of them, right? The majority of them are old, white, Republican business guys who are billionaires. How the fuck are they going to relate to the black community? How the hell are they going to relate to any community where we're not speaking at least, the guy doesn't have at least, what, seven, eight figures attached to his uh, financial portfolio? How is Jerry Jones going to relate to the average person in Dallas or in Plano or in, you know, El Paso? I mean, how are they, how is he going to relate? The guy's a multi-billionaire. When was the last time the guy actually had a decent day or a really connecting day with anybody who's making less than seven figures in his life? Or, or nine figures in his life. Come on, man. I mean, all of a sudden now, we're going to be asking him to feel the pain of those in the black community who are being oppressed? He could help. I mean, he could help. It would be great. But we, we need to start looking for different people to kind of be our, kind of be our, our partners in this. Because these NFL owners, they don't know. And it would be the same thing in terms of the Me Too movement. How would Jerry Jones, or I keep saying Jerry Jones, well, about that, I'm poor. I'm, seems, like I'm, <clears throat> seems like I'm picking on Jerry Jones, but how would, he, how would, how would Robert Kraft, who, by the way, still hasn't, has anything been resolved of his situation down in Florida where he went to get happy time down at a, a massage parlor? Has anything ever come up with that? But, I mean, are we talking about these NFL owners who, again, are, who are <clears throat> old white Republicans, <clears throat> excuse me, old white Republicans, I mean, how the fuck are they going to, how, how the hell are they going to be able to connect or really understand anything that's going on in any community where it ain't super duper rich? I mean, so I, I think that, again, <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see. At least, you know what, this is what we can expect from NFL owners. This is what I would want from NFL owners, especially a black man in this situation. Just continue to give us opportunities to give us the platform so we can go ahead and we can go back in our communities or we can go back into our space and talk about these things. Give us the ability, the financial resources by the paycheck that you give us to go ahead so we can fund our our foundations and other things that we can do. Continue to give us the platform. Continue to make the NFL the biggest thing as far as sports is concerned, the biggest thing going in this country and continue to give us the opportunity if we want to to become real public figures so we can make real change. LeBron James doesn't need Dan Gilbert for him to be a person who has an impact on society. James Harden doesn't need the Fertitas uh, uh, to have an impact on this society. Kevin Durant didn't need the owners of the Golden State Warriors, the, the Lakeums, Jacob Lakeham, for him to voice his displeasure and see what he can do to make this world better, to make this community better. LeBron James didn't need Mickey Arison's uh, uh, efforts or approval to see what he could do about building the school and sending kids to uh, college that way. Same thing when David Robinson had his foundation. They didn't need R.C. Uh, he didn't need, oh, shoot, who's the owner of the uh, San Antonio Spurs? R.C. Buford is the GM. Shit, I don't know. Well, the owner for, uh, it'll come to me in like 10 minutes. But the, he didn't need the owner for him to go ahead and make a change in his community to help out those. And the NFL players shouldn't be looking for the owners in terms of, you know what, if, if Stephen Ross wants to donate money for a cause that one of his players, his black players in the community are doing, fine. If anybody, any other owner wants to donate some money to a cause in the community, fine, wonderful. H have at it. You know, wonderful, we'll need it. But we don't, we don't need it. We don't need it to make an impact. So I think putting all of this 
pressure or putting all of this responsibility on NFL owners to make a impact outside of what they do in terms of owning their business, which is an NFL franchise. And sometimes it's one of their businesses owning an NFL franchise. Just give blacks, minorities, and opportunities that they deserve. Coaches, GMs, president of football operations, offensive coordinators, set up a portal to go ahead so you can have those who you might see young wannabe NFL you know, potential head coaches who are of color, if their playing days are over and they say, you know what, I'm really interested in trying to become a GM. I'm really interested in trying to become a head coach. And you see the potential, you see the talent, you see the opportunity for these guys to do it. Put them on a pathway once their playing days are over or whatever. Put them on a pathway to where they can go and have a sincere opportunity, a genuine opportunity once they become experienced enough, once they have the knowledge, once they be once they become viable, give them the opportunity for that position. Because guess what, guys? And you guys know this because you guys will go out of your way. It's amazing how NFL owners will go ahead. These guys will employ people who have murdered people, who have beat up women, who have done all of these felonious criminal activities. They'll go ahead and they'll put them on a football field. They'll go ahead and have them as their employee. Why? Because it feels it betters their chances to win an NFL championship. They'll go ahead and do that. But then again, they won't give a deserving black man a chance to, own their, to run their football team. Or a, a black man to give them the opportunity to build their football team. Or to work in public relations. Or to work in other situations of power. It's amazing. You guys are not tapping into a... Into, uh, uh, into something that can make your franchise more valuable, that can make your guys, make you guys more money. Ding, 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 ding. Maybe that's the answer to one of these guys. That means that's one of the things that maybe we need to do to get try to get through to these owners. Guess what? If you hire these black people in these positions and they're qualified, and because of that, they'll win you championships, they'll win you Super Bowls, they'll, you'll become a much better franchise, you'll become a much more valuable franchise, that's more money in your pocket. That way you can go ahead and buy yourself another $500 million yacht, or you can buy yourself another $750 million mansion. You can go ahead and do those things. You can employ those guys who are of color. How about the same thing in the NFL back in the 60s, right? Why the hell are we going to hire a why, would, why the hell are we going to have a quarterback who's black be uh, the leader of our football team? Or why are we going to have the offensive center be black? Why are we going to have the middle linebacker be black? I mean, these guys can't do it. These guys aren't smart enough. These guys, it might upset the fan base, this, that, and the other. Oh, guess what? The Willie Lanier came out with the San, with the uh, Kansas City Chiefs back in the 60s, along with Buck Buchanan and, and, and uh, all these other guys who were on the defensive line, defensive side of the football for the Kansas City Chiefs. And guess what? Those guys won the 1969 Super Bowl. Super Bowl four defeated the Minnesota Vikings 23-7. Eight black starters on the defensive front. Willie Millenier, the first middle linebacker of color to play in the National Football League. All of a sudden now, oh shit, how about that? People started to become a lot more receptive to maybe having a center who's black, to maybe having a quarterback who's black, maybe to have a linebacker, middle linebacker who's black. Because guess what? They're winning us football games. They're winning us championships. Did you see what Doug Williams did in the second quarter, the greatest quarter in NFL history? Happened to be by a black quarterback in the Super Bowl with the Washington Joe Giskins. Oh, shit, how about that? All of a sudden, now it's like, 
wait a minute, are there any other quarterbacks like Doug Williams? Are there any other quarterbacks who can do something like that? Because, damn, how about that? Jack Kent Cook, who was the owner of the football team at the time, all of a sudden now is like, wait a minute, he's holding, that, oh, he's holding up that Vince Lombardi trophy. Wow, hey, I need to get on board with this shit. I might not like those niggers, but I tell you one thing, if they can get me a championship, if they can put more money in my pocket, I'm down. So, I mean, it's a situation where, again, we're asking a little bit too much sometimes, I think, of what the owners need to do. Just worry about having a harmonious place in the workplace. And there should be law for that. Isn't there federal laws saying that, you know, you need to be hiring a certain amount of black folks or Hispanic folks or women folks or something like that? Wasn't that shit called, uh, what's that? Oh, yeah, affirmative action. Whatever happened to that, by the way. But I digress. Let's not look for NFL owners to do something that they might not be incapable, that they might not be capable of doing. Have them work on their deal, which is making their workspace diverse so they can improve in terms of putting more money in their wallet, in their bank account, in their trust funds, in their accounts overseas, and leaves the other social injustice, the people, the players who are more connected, who are more in tune, who are more knowledgeable with those communities that they come from. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Woo! Speaking about what's happening in the NFL in terms of change, change is going to come. I believe that change is going to come. Um, I think that uh, only Dallas Cowboys, like I have, uh, I do uh, recognize that uh, black players do need the opportunity to go ahead and talk about some of the things that's going down in their community. Now, I know that I'm trying to sound like Jerry Jones right now, but I used to do it a lot better when I was younger, but um, unfortunately, um, the uh, things that are going on in the world of sports has not allowed me to go ahead and take a look at Jerry Jones in terms of trying to mimic what he's saying. So I'm going to stop doing that right now before I lose everybody on this podcast. I don't want anybody to lose this podcast now. This, this young man, Wendell Wallace, he's no longer young, let me tell you that right now, but I do believe that he is a very talented podcaster. I've listened to him for years, and even when he's bashing me, even when he's calling me all these nasty things, even though he's a fan of that Washington football team that we don't like right now. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to step back a little bit and I'm going to let Wendell come in here. Wendell, you ready to come in here? All right, that's a handsome young man. And he's, oh boy, I tell you. Mm, how, how in the world did Holly Berry not talk to you? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I guess Beyonce is kind of regretting that uh, choice he made. She made taking uh, Jay-Z over you. <laughs> Get your ass over here, boy. <laughs> I didn't mean to call you, boy. I forgot. Wrong century, wrong time. I'm sorry about that. So uh, I want everybody to come on, come on in, Wendell. So here he is, Wendell Wallace of Wendell's World of Sports. Thank you, Jerry. Appreciate that. All right. Now, more pressing news issue moving forward with the uh, NFL when it comes to um, when it comes to where we're going with this. 
You know, because Roger Goodell was sitting up there talking about we want to be part of the solution and we want to do whatever that we can and these type of things and people protest and we were wrong in trying to muzzle the voices who were trying to um, tell us exactly what was going on with what was happening in their communities of color and such. So I'm thinking now, what is the more pressing issue moving forward for the NFL and in the political, especially in the political climate that we're in today? Seattle Seahawks running back Cliff Averill was asked, you know, what change the league can do to show their sincerity. And this is the mumbleized answer that he gave. The NFL, can, I think the NFL can start by signing cap back. I think if they sign cap back, that'll show that they're really trying to move in a different direction. Um, because um, Cat was making a statement four years ago um, about what's going on in today's world. And um, the NFL didn't bother to listen to him then. Um, so I think they should start by doing that. Um, after that, you know, I'm not really sure, you know, what the NFL can do. I see they, they said they was donating money. Honestly, I'm, I'm not – I can't really give you a, a good answer on what the NFL needs to do. I think it's, uh, it's something – the racism in this world is deep rooted in this in its in this world. I don't think what the, the NFL is going to change anything with that. Um, so personally, I, I really don't know. So the first thing the league can do is to get Kaepernick back into the league to show they're truly moving in a different direction. And after that, he really didn't have a good idea of what the NFL can do. He talked about, you know, deep-seated racism in the world and the NFL really can't do anything about that and giving Kaepernick the opportunity to resume his NFL career or dealing with minority hiring practices. I mean, yeah, so, so basically he really didn't say anything. But let's, let's Jay-Z was talking about a long, long ago when he was first hired by the NFL to do something. And by the way, through all of this, where has Jay-Z been? I mean, I know he's got his wife, and that would take up most of my time, too, in more ways than one. But, I mean, exactly, damn, man, Jigga, I'm kind of angry a little bit at you, man, because, you know, where have you been in terms of what's going down with this? I mean, you should have been there right with Roger Goodell, or you should have put out something after Roger Goodell or, or before Roger Goodell. Why is it that DeAndre Hopkins and Ezekiel Elliott and all these other guys are coming out with videos and we see all this other stuff going on in terms of NFL players. Matt Ryan talking about what he can do. J.J. Watt talking about what he can do. Joe Burrow talking about what he can do. I mean, all of these players coming out right now, black, white, and whoever, talking about, you know, what's going down and harmony and racial inequality and police brutality and, you know, not listening to black folks when they're expressing their displeasure and some of the things that they're going through. We're not respecting them correctly. Where has Jay-Z been? through all this. Because Jay-Z, I kind of held out that, you know what, he's just being a pawn, but I was like, no, let's, let's wait first to see what impact he can make. And so far, the impact has been close to nothing from what I've seen. Maybe behind the scenes he's doing something. Maybe he's talking with Commissioner Goodell on what ways we can do to get Kaepernick back into the league or what ways we can move toward, you know, helping out this community or rebuilding this community or minority practices or whatever maybe behind the scenes he's doing that but so far i've heard nothing in terms of help jay-z helping do anything in this situation i mean if i'm going to sit here and i'm going to crack on tiger woods and i'm going to sit here and crack on michael jordan for not doing enough well then i'm definitely gonna to have to do the same thing about someone who i i, I admire as a businessman and, and the success story that he had and the wife that he has 
I'm definitely going to have to talk about Sean Carter in a negative light for him. From what I can see, not doing enough to help the cause to move the needle toward where we need to be in this society from any type of aspect whatsoever. Again, maybe I'm ignorant to the fact that he's doing other things that are not being um, that are not being um, uh, seen or not being shown, not being reported on. But I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. So here discussing these things on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. One thing that we also have to take heed of, especially those who have a, you know, have, have a look of, you know, not trusting the NFL. It's got to be more than just about getting Kaepernick back into the league because to me, let's say the NFL capitulates and says, all right, fine, fine, fine. Here, Colin Kaepernick is back in the league. Are you happy now? Jesus. And other things continue to stay the way they are. What does it mean? What does having Colin Kaepernick back in the league? The NFL made a mistake. They were wrong. Uh, they made they corrected their mistake. Yippity doo da, yippity day. The, we end this movie on a happy ending. The other happy ending, not the one that the filthy minds are speaking about. So it's like that might be fine, but if Kaepernick, let's say we, Kaepernick starts the 2020 season on a team and he plays three or four more years. He might get some starts and all those type of things. Wonderful, fantastic, hip hip hooray. He continues to kneel and all those type of things. Great, wonderful, still voicing his displeasure about what's going on in terms of discrimination in this country. Great, fantastic, wonderful. But just from an NFL standpoint, what happens three years from now, he's still doing those things as an employee, as a starting quarterback in the NFL. And yet, we see in terms of NFL head coaches, there's only three, when we take a look at GMs, there's only one. We take a look at offensive coordinators, there are only two. We take a look at the hiring practices, it's majority white in terms of white males getting jobs. What exactly does that mean? I mean, are we trying to win the battle or are we trying to win the war? Now look, Colin Kaepernick deserves an opportunity, not a job, but he deserves an opportunity to try to get back in the league, a sincere opportunity. Not that force that was put together last season where he was supposed to be trying out for NFL teams in one spot and then he showed up late or he went and did it somewhere else and he wore a you know he wore a shirt that might have turned some teams off and everything like that and we were questioning whether this was just a publicity stunt or was Kaepernick really sincere about trying to get an opportunity to try to get on a team let's again let's not talk about winning battles and look you can't win a war without winning battles, right? I understand that. But man, let's kind of think about the overall aspect of this. We're going to hold your feet to the fire in terms of the NFL. If Roger Goodell is really sincere about these things, it's more than just about, hey, you know, uh, you know, our main deal is to get Colin Kaepernick in. That might that that might be a decent start, okay? That might be a uh, a decent start, but we don't know. It might be something to where, like, look, to get these motherfuckers off our back because we're really not interested in hiring black people as coaches. We're really not interested in hiring black people to go ahead and be the faces of our franchise in terms of any upper management position. We're really not down, the owners, we're really not down with hiring black folks to be communications directors or uh, lead scouts or leading the scouting department or, you know, being general manager to football operations. I'm really not interested in having this guy go out to our country clubs and go out to our sponsors and go out to our advertisers and go out to our board meetings. I'm really not interested. I'm really not down with having a black person do that. So to avoid the consistent pushing or the consistent questions of 
Why hasn't you? Why hasn't this league hired a black head coach in two years? Why is it that three years down the road after George Floyd and the marching and the protesting that we only have three or four head black head coaches in the NFL and only two general managers? To kind of get away from that noise and kind of get away from that argument, let's go ahead and hire Colin Kaepernick and give him a job. That's the easy thing. That, to me, would be the disingenuous thing. Don't be sitting up there trumpeting and talking about, see, I told you, I told you we're all about change by hiring Colin Kaepernick. That's only a good start. You got to do a little bit more than that. So for me, it's like everybody's like, you know, give Kaepernick a job, give Kaepernick a job, give Kaepernick a job. Man, it's more about that. It is more about any of that stuff. It's about giving Colin Kaepernick an opportunity. When Colin Kaepernick was bounced from the NFL because of what he did, because of his strength, because of his character, because of his morals, because of the human being that he is, because he was, I don't want to say blackballed, but because he was ostracized, because he was, you know, uh, martyred because of that. Colin Kaepernick wasn't exactly Tom Brady. Colin Kaepernick exactly wasn't Drew Brees. Colin Kaepernick exactly wasn't Patrick Mahomes like he is right now. Colin Kaepernick was a, what, somewhere between maybe a, 13 to 17 in terms of quarterbacks in this league, in terms of how good they were. He wasn't an elite football player. Let me tell you something. If Colin Kaepernick was Tom Brady in terms of his, in terms of his skill, in terms of, you know, the impact of him, if Colin Kaepernick was an elite quarterback in the league, even with the kneeling, Colin Kaepernick would not have been balanced or even with the kneeling, if he was bounced, someone would have picked him up. Someone would have been, man, the hell with you guys. I need Colin Kaepernick on my team to win championships. And for those who are worried about, well, you know, the public might not like it. My fan base might not like it. I might lose season tickets or I might lose advertisers. Believe me, if I can get Colin Kaepernick on my team and I can guarantee because of him that I'm going to win 14 games, that I'm going to win division titles, that I'm going to win conference titles, and I'm going to be competing for Super Bowls, believe me, the fans even the ignorant ones, even the bigoted ones, even the racist ones, even the white privileged ones will kind of let that slide if they can give them an opportunity to celebrate winning a championship. So if Colin Kaepernick was an elite, elite quarterback at the time that he was bounced because of his personal beliefs, you know, I, I think he still would have had a job. So for me, it's all about, man, what are you doing in totality? in terms of bringing true, as far as your space is concerned. Again, I ain't interested in what your thoughts are as far as the owners or an organization as a whole. I'm not, don't don't tell me about Black Lives Matter. Don't tell me about how sorry you feel that we've been oppressed. Don't apologize to me and say, oh yeah, we should have listened to you and we're sorry about that. And continue doing the same things that you're doing in terms of your hiring practice. Show me with, with deeds, not with words. So when people are sitting up there talking about Kaepernick needs a job, Kaepernick needs a job. Come on, man. Let's, 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 let's focus. All right. Let's really focus about what we need to do, which is the whole system needs to be overhauled in terms of giving minorities an opportunity for advancement and improvement. As, as I mentioned before, let's do that. Let's get these guys because, again, you put the spotlight on a black head coach whether it be someone like a Mike Tomlin, whether it's someone like an Anthony Lynn, whether it's someone like a, a Brian Flores, he can then go back because he has the, the, the he has that name recognition that he can go back into the communities. The NFL gave him that platform to give him that credibility so he can go back into the communities 
so he can go back to the downtrodden, so he can go back to the humbled and the lowly from his community and say, hey, look, man, I'm where, I was where you were from, and I faced different types of obstacles because of my race, because of my background, but I made it, and I did it, and if I did it, you can do it. And because I am the head coach of this football team, not everybody, but maybe it, it'll, it'll inspire somebody in that community, whether it's a man, woman, or child, in their space, in their atmosphere, in the world that they're living in. Maybe it doesn't have to be sports. Maybe Brian Flores can encourage somebody to start their own business to where they become a CEO. Maybe Brian Flores or Anthony Lynn or a black head coach who gets hired and becomes successful, maybe he can go ahead and go into community and talk about the obstacles that he had to overcome, overcome the racism, the hard work that he had to put in to finally get an opportunity. Maybe because of that, maybe he'll inspire a man who's, who's wanting to maybe start a restaurant in the black community. Maybe it will give him the inspiration. Maybe it will give him the motivation to go ahead and do that. And within that, opportunity within that inspiration that that head coach has given to that young man to open up that restaurant in the neighborhood. Maybe because of that, he starts hiring people that can work for him. And then maybe as the business grows, maybe those people that work for him will branch out and they'll become entrepreneurs of their own and they'll keep the money and they'll keep the dollars and they'll keep their businesses within that community. And slowly but surely over generations, that community, that area begins to grow. And that area then becomes something to where they can survive within themselves. That they don't need to go outside of the community and spend their dollars somewhere else on the other side of the town. Maybe that restaurant that that black man was or that black woman or them black folks were inspired by this head coach coming there to their community and telling their story. Maybe that guy started something to where a restaurant, a barbershop, a beauty salon, a gym, improvements in the school, and maybe that community, because of what they're doing in terms of their economic power, all of a sudden now, local officials, local folks who are running for positions of power within the government, within this, you know, within their situation, maybe then they start paying more attention to what's going on in that community. And because of the power that they have, maybe then they get invited to the table when we're talking about what dollars need to be allocated to what communities and what problems need to be talked about. Maybe instead of having the black community be on the last, you know, in terms of, you know, what needs to be done and who are we going to get to, because that community is thriving, because that community is self-sufficient, because that community has those who are leaders, those who have money, those who have power, those who have influence, Maybe then they get moved up a little bit to some of them dollars, more of them dollars come to their community. And it all started when? When an NFL owner decided that, you know what, I'm going to give this black man an opportunity to become a head coach. And if you think I'm laughing, and if you think I'm joking, and if you think that's bullshit, look at the influence Tony Dungy has had on his community with his Christian uh, leadership and the group and the impact that he's had with not just those in the community, but those in the community of football. Look at, the, look at the impact Tony Dungy has had. Has, would he have made the same type of impact if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers didn't give him an opportunity? If the Minnesota Vikings didn't, and Dennis Green didn't give him the opportunity to become a defensive coordinator and then move up the ranks that way? No. So let's not sit there and talk about once Kaepernick gets a job, if Kaepernick gets a job, that the mission is complete or, the, or, or we really moved 
in a you know in a in a great position or we in an influential position. No, that's just that's just that's just the iceberg, man. That's that's just hitting the surface. That's the bare bones minimum of what you can do in terms of giving Colin Kaepernick a job. Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast. Wendell Wallace with you. So glad that you could be with us. And as I mentioned before, hey, if Kaepernick wasn't, I mean, Kaepernick, if he was Tom Brady, he would have he would have still been working. He still would have been employed in the NFL. When I was reading that piece by Joe Lockhart, speaking about some of the good work that Roger Goodell has done in some of the ways that he's tried to influence and tried to move the needle before he did this video, before George Floyd went down. There was a situation where, again, he was trying to get Colin Kaepernick back into the league. But an executive told him, and this is in the story, an executive told him that one team considered signing Kaepernick, but the team projected losing 20% of their season ticket holders if they did. And that was a business risk no team was willing to take, whether the owner was a Trump supporter or, you know, a far, you know, or a Barack Obama guy. It really didn't matter. No owner was willing to put the business at risk over the issue. So it's a situation where, again, I mean, I heard uh, Dominic Foxworth talk about, hey, man, you know, so fucking what? You're rich. You're a billionaire. You answer to nobody. You've got generational wealth. You are political proof wealth. Doesn't matter if the idiot that we have in the White House now gets reelected and goes fucking hog buck wild. It doesn't matter if Joe Biden gets into the uh, White House. It doesn't matter. Those guys are beyond reproach when it comes to anything that could affect them financially or status-wise. I mean, they're there. They won the game. They're the champions. They're the kings. They're the undisputed champs. So, okay, you lose 20%. What does that mean? What does that mean? You won't be able to buy another yacht? You won't be able, you won't be able to buy another plane? I mean, you'll, you'll manage. You'll survive. A lot of those guys are old anyway. What does what some 75-year-old man or woman, whoever, what do they need? Well, I mean, what, what, what's the situation where they need another plane when you already have four? What's the situation when you need another car when you have 20? What's the situation where you need another mansion when you already have six? What's another situation when you need another vacation home when you already have those all around the world? I mean, come on, man. Come on. Come on. I know that mentality in terms of more, 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 more is what made you successful. But for once, try to be on the side of history in terms of when we talk about the winners and we, we talk about the losers. Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. And also... I also, when we talk about, you know, what's more important for the NFL moving forward, hiring Kaepernick, giving Kaepernick a job, or <clears throat> the overall situation that the NFL, as far as its hiring practices con is concerned, I also wanted to see that, you know what, what's Kaepernick's situation? Because it's more complex than just letting him back into the league. That's the easy part. You know, just, oh, okay, we're sorry, here's your job. I mean, you know, what team is going to have the professionalism or the leadership from the locker room, the coaching staff, the fan base, the geographic location to maximize having Colin Kaepernick in that locker room? Because I don't think that he will be. I think that when Colin Kaepernick, like when Ali came back, when Ali, before Ali got exiled from boxing, Ali was that guy that was talking about white people are devils and, you know, gassing my name no more, Muhammad Ali, and white folks ain't do me no good, and all, all those things, by the way, that were correct. But he was very outspoken in terms of his political stances and the Vietnam War, no Viet Cong ever called me nigger, all that type of stuff. 
when he was Cassius Clay and then he got with the teachings of Malcolm X and then he became the heavyweight champion of the world and then as a Muslim and at the name Muhammad Ali, he felt what kind of impact that he could have around the world from a political standpoint. That was all that he, I mean, that was what he was doing. But after he was stripped and he was able to come back, as Jim Brown said, when Muhammad Ali came back, he was no longer that guy who was as vocal as he was before he got stripped of the title. He was muted. He was neutered just a little bit. Now, that didn't mean to say that Muhammad Ali all of a sudden, you know, became, you know, a Tiger Woods in terms of his willingness to speak about racial issues and other things like that. But he was never the same guy in terms of his vigor, in terms of his outspokenness, in terms of his willingness to go there with those issues. Is the same thing going to be with Colin Kaepernick? I'm quite sure if he interviews with the team or if he speaks with the team, I'm quite sure that it's going to come up. Are you going to be kneeling during the national anthem? Are you going to be bringing attention to what's going on in terms of police brutality and, and Black Lives Matter and everything like that? I mean, are you going to be doing that in the locker room? I mean, how much attention are you going to be giving to that in, you know, in terms of when you compare that to preparing for a football game or being an NFL football player? Are you more concerned about being a social justice warrior or are you more concerned about being a NFL quarterback? And he's going to have to answer those questions. And some teams are going to be like, if this guy talks about I'm going to be kneeling and I'm going to be wearing shirts talking about free black people and all this kind of stuff, I'm not quite sure that I'm interested or I'm going to be comfortable having him on my team if you're an NFL coach. And I'm quite sure that goes for Ron Rivera, Anthony Lynn, Mike Tomlin, and the other white coaches, Brian Flores, and the other white coaches in the NFL. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if someone like Anthony Lynn, I don't know. If you have a coach, for instance, a, a black coach who is uh, gets hired for the first time as a black head coach, and we already know the scrutiny that's going to be placed upon that. We know that black head coaches in the NFL don't get the same amount of chances to fail as white head coaches. If you take a look at Adam Gates, if you take a look at uh, Matt Patricia, if you take a look at those guys who have gotten multiple opportunities to fail during seasons as head coaches, but yet they're still employed as head coaches in the NFL. Black coaches who might get the first time opportunity to do this, rightfully so, are saying, look, this might be the only time I get this opportunity. So I need everything to be focused on football. And if I have a guy in the locker room like Colin Kaepernick, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle that. And I don't know how much that's going to hurt or help my chances. Because if I go 3-13 and 13 the first year, even if the team before was 2-14, and 3-14, and 5-11, and, and, and then they hire me, going 4-12 might get me fired. 5-11 and 11 might get me fired. And I'll never get another chance. I'll go back to being the defensive coordinator again. So those are the type of things that Colin Kaepernick is going to have to be facing. How vocal are you going to be in terms of you're employed by the NFL? And let's say, for instance, Kaepernick is like, you know what? You know, I'm under the offseason and everything like that. You know, I'm not going to shy away from my responsibilities about what I can do for the community and all those other things. But you know what? The second chance that I've got, I'm going to dedicate myself to football. I'm going to try to become the best football player I can be. And if I'm the starting quarterback of a football team, you're damn sure straight. I'm going to live, breathe, eat football 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I'm going to do everything humanly possible that I can do to be the best football player, best quarterback that I can be and help you guys win a championship. If he does do that, and all of a sudden his efforts and his voice 
all of a sudden lessons. I didn't say go away, but lessons within the community in terms of what he's trying to do to help. I'm quite sure the backlash from the black community ain't going is going to be loud. It's going to be like, what's up, man? All of a sudden now you get hired by the NFL, you become a an NFL starting quarterback, and you're going to leave us behind. I mean, what's up with this? Was your goal the whole time just to become an NFL quarterback and then that's it? What happened to the Colin Kaepernick that I knew that was rebellious? What happened to the Colin Kaepernick that I knew that spoke out on things? What happened to the Colin Kaepernick I knew that was unapologetic, that was not fearful of any man in terms of what he could do to jeopardize his career, to jeopardize his livelihood? What happened to that Colin Kaepernick who was fighting the NFL all by himself and seemed like, what happened to that freedom fighter? What happened to that next Muhammad Ali type guy in terms of what he was trying to do to to bring change to the society. All of a sudden now, you're nothing more than a very good starting quarterback for a National League football team. What's up with that? So it'll be interesting. Interesting dichotomy moving forward. So I'm thinking about the franchises here on Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. I'm thinking about some of the franchises that might be able to make it work if they employed Kaepernick. I'm thinking about teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers or the New England Patriots. Yeah, I said New England Patriots. The, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, the Baltimore Ravens, the Seattle Seahawks. Those are the best teams, I think, that come to mind when we're speaking about the best fit as far as everything. Playing style, location, upper management, uh, coaching staff, players in the locker room, all of those type of things. And none of these are perfect. None of these are like 100% yes, 100% yes, 100% yes. Locker room going to be loving Colin Kaepernick for everything he says, 100% yes. Colin Kaepernick living in that area and doing what he does for that fan base, everybody's going to be on board, 100% yes. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But if I'm taking a look at all the things that will go in to trying to make Colin Kaepernick reach his potential or be the best quarterback that he can be in the situation. I take a look at a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers because of their coach. I take a look at uh, Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots with their coach. I take a look at the Kansas City Chiefs, someone like Andy Reid who gave Michael Vick an opportunity to resume his career when it wasn't the popular thing to do. I give him that opportunity. I would, I would say that the Kansas City Chiefs are a team. I would give someone like uh, the uh, Baltimore Ravens with their owner and the head coach and their offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, implying a type of uh, system that I think that Colin Kaepernick played under. I think about someone like the Miami Dolphins, who you can say all what you want to about Stephen Ross, and yeah, my, eyebrow, my eyebrows are raised and they're furrowed with all the money that he's donating to the re-election of the jackass that we have in the White House right now, but give the man credit because he did hire a black coach and he did hire a black GM. So I think that might be a situation, especially being in a diverse city like Miami, Florida. I think it might be a situation where Colin Kaepernick could go ahead and thrive in that situation, or at least given a decent chance to succeed or fail in a genuine set. Um, the Seattle Seahawks. I think Pete Carroll is a guy who could be open to Colin Kaepernick. I think Pete Carroll was a guy that if he was able to go ahead and sign Colin Kaepernick in 2017, 18, and 19, that he would do it. So I think those are the type of franchises that would be best fitting for Colin Kaepernick. But, you know, I, I take a look. Look, coaches and players deal with the distraction having Colin Kaepernick on the roster. It's, how can I put this? Coaches are control freaks. We hear this all the time. Coaches, black or white, doesn't matter. All throughout time, it don't matter. Coaches want to eliminate the outside noise. Coaches want to just, it's all about football for NFL head coaches. Really, that's, that's what it's all about. You know, I don't, 
bring me anything. Don't bring me any bullshit. Don't bring me any type of nonsense that's going to distract from what I have to do to win a football game. It's an ever-assuming, all-assuming deal for these NFL coaches to try to win a football game. Not try to win a Super Bowl. Not try to win championships. Just winning a fucking NFL fucking game. It just takes almost all of your being. So it's like, look, if I'm going to have Kaepernick on my team, I don't need some of the outside bullshit that's going to come with it. And I'm not talking about Kaepernick in terms of his stances, in terms of his kneeling, in terms of his beliefs, in terms of his activism. I'm not talking about that for NFL coaches. Possibly, maybe some of those guys could deal with that shit. But what they can't deal with, with the circus that would be following Kaepernick if he joined a team. I don't need that shit, man. Coaches, I can sit there saying to their owners or whoever if they want to sign Kaepernick, look, man, I don't need the bullshit that Kaepernick's going to bring being on this football team. I don't want to deal with fucking media members who don't know anything about the NFL, who don't know anything about sports, asking football questions about why Kaepernick isn't starting yet. I don't need that bullshit. For instance, if he goes to, say, fucking, I don't know, let's say he goes to, um, I'm trying to think of a team here that might need a, let's say you go to the Los Angeles Rams, right? I mean, we all know about the ups and downs, the inconsistencies this past season of Jared Goff. And Kaepernick comes on board. If I'm Sean McVay, I'm like, look, man, I don't need the bullshit of somebody from fucking MSNBC News grilling me and asking me about why Kaepernick wasn't the starting quarterback after Jared Goff had a bad quarter or after a bad game. If Jared Goff has two bad games, I don't need to hear from people who have no idea what the fucking talking about concerning football and sports is concerned. I don't need those assholes coming up and grilling me about why Kaepernick gets it starting. Oh, Kaepernick gets it starting. I guess you're a racist. Oh, Kaepernick gets it starting. I guess you're the person who's trying to, you know, keep the man down. I don't need that bullshit. I don't need that. I don't, I don't, I don't want that. Because I don't need that distraction. And I don't need that poison maybe filtering into my locker room. I don't want that. You don't care, you don't give a damn about Black Lives Matter. Oh, you must be racist because Jared Goff, the white boy, he's terrible. He hasn't done shit. Callan Kaepernick is a much better player than he is. Why aren't you playing him? You must be this, any other. You must be, you know, keeping the man down. I don't, I don't need that as a coach. I don't need that shit from CNN and MSNBC and the Bloomberg Report and the Huffington Post. I don't need you assholes coming in here who don't know jack shit about fucking football grilling me about this shit, writing editorials about that shit. I don't need Rachel Maddow or Lawrence O'Donnell or Anderson Cooper or the beautiful Brooke, what's her name? Brooke, Brooke, the, oh, the midday woman on uh, CNN. That woman is absolutely gorgeous, intelligent, um, oh, experienced. Brooke Burns? No, not Brooke Burns. Brooke Baldwin. Thank you. I see the pretty face and the intelligent words coming out of her mouth, but Brooke Baldwin, I think that's the name. I, I don't need those people sitting up here lambasting me, lambasting my organization, lambasting my owner, because, you know, after two bad games from my starting quarterback, why isn't Colin Kaepernick getting an opportunity to play yet? I don't need that bullshit. I love the Roland Martin, but I don't need to go on Roland Martin unfiltered and have you bash these guys and must say it's racism because Colin Kaepernick hasn't gotten an opportunity to play after two bad games or three bad games from my starting quarterback. So that's, I could, from that standpoint, I can understand maybe why coaches or GMs or owners might be a little bit hesitant to bring Colin Kaepernick in there because with him, it's more than just whether he's able to read a defense, whether he's in good enough shape. 
Whether according to sources, he's busting his ass every day. According to sources, Colin Kaepernick physically is ready to play. He's in great shape. He's been practicing. He's been throwing the football. He's been working out. He is ready to play. So, yeah, I don't doubt that if you're talking about NFL teams who need a quarterback on their team, whether it's a backup or a um, starter, I mean, you take a look, Jacksonville, the Los Angeles Chargers, the Minnesota Vikings, the New York Jets and Giants, the Tennessee Titans, the Pittsburgh Steelers could use a quarterback. Carson Wentz could use a backup quarterback in, in uh, Philadelphia. Cleveland could use a backup quarterback in case uh, Baker Mayfield stumbles and bumbles. New England, we know about the situation with them, how they're going to be really going with Jared Stidham and Brian Hoyer. Really? Bill Belichick? But, you know, you don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off of old Lone Ranger, and you don't, doubt, you don't doubt Bill Belichick when it comes to these decisions. But, yeah, so there's plenty of teams that could use a quarterback of Colin Kaepernick's skill, his experience, no doubt about it. But is he going to be able to do the same thing? Is Colin Kaepernick willing to come in as a backup? Does he want to be a starter? Is he going to be wanting to play that role? Is he going to do what Doug Williams had to do when he didn't play um, in the 1986 season? because of a contract dispute with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and his wife had an aneurysm and she died from that. So he had to take some time off from football. Jim Plunkett, who was beat up in his NFL career, he didn't throw a pad for one year. He sat on the bench for another year before getting an opportunity with the Oakland Raiders. Randall Cunningham announced his retirement after the 1995 season, joined the Minnesota Vikings in 1997. They got Randy Moss, they got uh, Chris Carter, they've got uh, Robert Smith. It replaced Brad Johnson and had an awesome year leading the Vikings to a 15-1 record and a field goal away from winning the uh, going to the uh, uh, Super Bowl. Is, is that the path that Colin Kaepernick is willing to go? Is he willing to do that? Is the coach willing to uh, have that happen? Because as I mentioned before, some of the teams that I mentioned that could use Colin Kaepernick as far as a quarterback on their roster based on his skill, based on what he could do for his for the team winning football games as a leader, as a teammate, as a football player. Yeah, Jacksonville, the Chargers, Minnesota, the Jets, the Giants. But you take a look at some of these teams. He ain't starting over Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. He ain't start, starting over Daniel Jacobs and Sam Darnold for the two New York teams. He's not starting over Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. He's not starting over Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. He's not starting over Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. He's not starting over Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee, at least not at the beginning. And if you take a look at the Jets and the Giants and the Eagles and the Browns, those are teams with young quarterbacks. So they're not going to be too anxious at the first sign of distress to throw them out or throw them to the wayside, especially if you're speaking about uh, Philadelphia, if Carson Wentz can stay healthy. He's already a top seven, top eight quarterback in the league. So what is Kaepernick going to do? What are his intentions? And you also have to remember the one person that we've kind of forgotten about in all of this, Colin Kaepernick needs a job. Colin Kaepernick needs a job. Give Colin Kaepernick a job. Um, Cam Newton's on the sideline saying, uh, excuse me, um, I'm, I'm still looking for a job over here. I mean, I didn't take four years off. I'm healthy. You've seen my workouts. I've been the league MVP. I took my team to the Super Bowl. I played last year, wasn't the entire 16 games, but I, I did play. And I still can't get a job. Who deserves a job more for the 2020 season coming up? Is it Cam Newton or is it Colin Kaepernick? 
So if I'm Cam Newton, I'm like, yeah, you know what? If it comes down between me and Cap, I mean, you know, I would love to see both of us get a job. Both of us deserve to be on a on a on a NFL roster. No doubt about it. But if it comes down between me or him, how in the world are you gonna choose him over me? <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, Cap, if it comes down between that, you know, continue to do your activism, continue to do and continue to get ready. Maybe during the regular season, a quarterback goes down and they might need to pick you up. I don't know, but uh, Cam Newton deserves an opportunity to be on an NFL team before Colin Kaepernick. I mean, uh, yeah, before Colin Kaepernick does. But no one's talking about that. Instead, I mean, we've got Reverend Al Sharpton over here at George Floyd's funeral. I mean, I don't, I don't know where this came up. I guess he was tying in the um, the injustices and everything that's going down in the community, community with the George Floyd deal and uh, comparing it to what's happening now in the NFL. But, you know, at the funeral for George Floyd, this is what Reverend Al had to say. Oh, it's nice to see some people change their mind. The head of the NFL said, yeah, maybe we was wrong. Football players... Maybe they did have the right to peacefully protest. Well, don't apologize. Give Colin Kaepernick a job back. Again, if you're an NFL coach, do you really want to deal with that? Do you really want to have Al Sharpton marching in front of the stadium if you're an owner talking about give Cap a chance, give Cap a chance? The team is 2-7 and seven and the quarterback stinks and Kaepernick is still on the bench not playing. Give him a job, give him a job. You really, you give him an opportunity, give him a chance to start. He should be starting. You really want to deal with that bullshit if you're an owner? You really want to deal with that bullshit if you're a teammate of Kaepernick? You really want to deal with that bullshit if you're a coach? Again, I bring it up before I go to break. Look, man. When the situation arises and black coaches still I mean, are, are get jobs, let's just say, for instance, the NFL sees the light. Oh, my goodness. You know what? 32 teams, conservative number. Let's give um, the next 10, the next 10 coaching positions. Six of them go to blacks, right? We're, 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 I told you. I told you we're down with the cause. I've told you that Black Lives Matter. I told you I'm down with the opportunities. I told you we're going to change. A change is going to come, y'all. I told you. Bring us in, Cook, and sing that song. I was born on the river in a little tent. And like the river, I've been rolling ever since. It's been a long, long, long time coming, but I finally hired myself a black head coach. If it comes down to that, right, with the uh, gospel choir singing in the background, Hey, man, that coach still has to perform, and that coach, we still have to see, even after all that happens, how many coaches, how many of those black coaches that were hired are going to be giving this, given the same opportunity to fail like the other white coaches? Because you might be hiring them six black coaches, two or three of them ain't going to make it. Two or three of them probably might come to the situation where, you know what, he just ain't a good coach. Not every black coach is a good coach. I mean, just like every white coach is not a white, is not a good coach, right? So it's a situation where, okay, you might be hiring these six black head coaches for these positions out of 10, but are you going to give us the same chances to succeed or fail that you give your white counterparts? That's another deal that we're going to have to situate and talk about. Even when we feel that we're past the, 
you know, I told you that um, the NFL is changing because they hired black head coaches. And after that happens, there's a whole nother set of situations that we're going to have to deal with, as I just mentioned before. Are these guys going to get an opportunity to truly succeed in their jobs? So if you got yourself a black head coach for the first time, as I mentioned before, and you have Colin Kaepernick on your team, and Colin Kaepernick is going to be bringing in those type of distractions, a black head coach is probably going to say, I don't want Colin Kaepernick on my team. <laughs> I just don't want it because I don't want to deal with that bullshit. So, yeah, man, moving forward, it's like the NFL is in a, a situation where it's like, you know, multitude of problems, multitude of issues that they're going to have to deal with. But for me, it ain't about giving, first of all, it's not 100%, not about giving Colin Kaepernick a job. The NFL does not need to give Colin Kaepernick a job. What the NFL needs to do is give Colin Kaepernick a sincere opportunity. Because in my belief, if you did give Colin Kaepernick a true, sincere opportunity to play in terms of a tryout, I think Colin Kaepernick would have a job. That's my guess. That's my estimation. That's my assumption. Give Kaepernick the opportunity. I don't want nobody to give me nothing. Open up the door, I'll get it myself. Man, don't give me integration. Give me truth, communication. Don't give me sorrow. I want equal opportunity to live tomorrow. Give me schools and give me better books so I can read about myself and gain my true looks. I don't want nobody to give me nothing. Open up the door, I'll get it myself. Thank you very much, Godfather of Soul and Wife Beater, James Brown. But that should be, Reverend Al, don't be talking about give. Don't Black folks don't want to be given anything. That's, that's reading into the stereotype of idiots and racists and bigots and the person that's in the office of the White House and Republican um, uh, lawmakers and some Democratic lawmakers and the ignorant and those who don't know anything. Black folks don't want to be given nothing except an opportunity. That's all we want. If you give us an opportunity, I guarantee you that we'll do well. A lot of us will do well. Some will fail, but some will do really, really well. So don't give us a job. Don't give us money. Don't give us. We're not looking for hand-me-downs. We're not looking for self-pity. You know, we're not looking for a white person to pat us on the back and say, it's okay, I'll go ahead and take care of you. We're here for the rescue. We're here to rescue you guys. You know, we don't need that bullshit. We don't need that nonsense. All we want to be given is an opportunity and see what we can do. For so the NFL is very easy. What do we want? We want both. We want Colin Kaepernick to be giving, to be given a sincere opportunity to earn a place on a football team. And we want the NFL to give us an opportunity, a sincere opportunity to become head coaches, offensive coordinators, head of scaling directors, public communications directors, and everything which inquires intelligence, which inquires acumen, which inquires all those things that many people for decades in the NFL thought that we were inferior to comparing to the white counterparts or didn't have the ability to do. All we want is a sincere opportunity.
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Beautiful day out here in Las Vegas, man. Beautiful. Sun is shining. I'm up here talking what's going down in my mind, giving it out to you. So glad that you can listen. Speaking about what's happening as far as unity, unity about what's happening in this world and in sports. Did you see the uh, deal that some of these young cats from the NFL talking about their uh, thoughts putting in the video? Patrick Mahomes, Saquon Barkley, DeAndre Hopkins. How in the world did he get traded to the Arizona Cardinals again? Jeez. Um, Ezekiel Elliott, Deshaun Watson, Michael Thomas. They made a video for the NFL. It was awesome, man. Awesome. Play it. It's been 10 days since George Floyd was brutally murdered. How many times do we need to ask you to listen to your prayers? What will it take for one of us to be murdered by police brutality? What if I was George Floyd? If I was George Floyd? What if I was George Floyd? 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 I am George Floyd. I am. would like to hear you state. We, the National Football League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. We, the National Football League, admit wrong and silencing our players from peacefully protesting. We, the National Football League, believe black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Fantastic, fellas. Fantastic. Ask for the NFL to condemn racism, admit wrong in previous attempts to silence peaceful protests, and to affirm that black lives matter. You know what the takeaway I got from that, and what made me so hopeful, is that if you take a look at those players who did that, the Patrick Mahomes and the Saquon Barkleys and those guys, DeAndre Hopkins, those are the next generation of superstars, franchise players, faces of this pop, most popular sport that we have by far. And they seem to be determined, sincere, thoughtful, unapologetic, not intimidated by what they're going to say. They didn't harsh words. They didn't mince words. But the looks on their face didn't show any type of, gee, I, I sure hope we're not going to get, uh, I sure hope that we're not going to receive too much bad publicity on this. Or, oh my gosh, I sure hope Laura Ingram doesn't tell us to shut up and throw footballs again. Or, oh my gosh, I hope that we don't get grilled by Rush Limbaugh and talk about how unapologetic or how, you know, we don't care about America. Oh gosh and golly, I sure hope this doesn't go to where, you know, the jackass at the White House tweets something bad about us. Those guys were strong. Those guys were mature. Those guys, those guys were fantastic. And again, that is something to where a young kid at home right now, five, not five, five is too young. Are you talking about a young kid right now? We're talking about 10, 11, 12, 13. And I'm not talking about a young kid of that age in Southeast San Diego or in Southeast DC or in, um, or, or in uh, parts of Boston. That might be predominantly uh, underdeveloped or such a thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about maybe a white kid who's in the white ghetto taking a look at that. I may be talking about a white kid right now who's living out of, a, out of a homeless shelter in Kentucky or in Indiana or Nebraska or Kansas taking a look at that. I'm talking about a young kid 
who's in Montana or in North Dakota or in South Dakota who are going through hard financial times right now, who are living in trailer parks, who are taking a look at that message from those guys and relating and are, um, are, are amazed and are inspired to do something. That's what I'm talking about. We always equate this once we always equate this with just one group of people. No, no. These messages that these black players are giving out are to inspire everybody. It's not just this is just for black folks and no one else you can't relate. That's where we got in this problem to begin with. The white folks feel that they can't relate or they shouldn't relate or it does have no relation to them. No, what these guys are talking about, what these young superstars these potential superstars, public figures, generational greats we're talking about, when they're asking the NFL to condone racism and admit wrong and previous attempts to silence the peaceful protest, to affirm that Black Lives Matter, that resonates, that is relatable to everybody. <laughs> and how about this? That's just more, I'll even go a step further with that. That message wasn't just for the downtrodden. That wasn't just for those who were going through tough times. You know who else that was for? That was for the folks up there in Summerlin in Nevada right now. That was for the folks in Beverly Hills. That was for the folks in Potomac, Maryland. That wasn't for the folks over in the rich sections of Dallas. That was for those people. It's for y'all also who live a life where uh, uh, live a life of privilege where there's a situation where you're probably not going to be able to talk to a person of color or because of your neighborhood living in La Jolla, that you're not going to be facing some of the things that black folks and poor black folks go through. But understand those things go through, so those guys are speaking to you also. Don't close your eyes. Don't, you know, don't stop listening, because that's for you also to go ahead and affirm that black lives matter, that the powers that be shouldn't have attempts to silence peaceful protests that those of power should not condemn racism. I mean, sincerely condemn racism. That's for everybody. That's for everybody. And the fact that you have, in the NFL, you have Carson Wentz, you have Joe Burrow, you have Derek Carr, you have J.J. Watt, you have all these guys, especially these young cats when you're talking about Joe Burrow and Carson Wentz. I mean, that's been, I love it. I love the fact that these guys are, are seemingly getting the message. And I'm hopeful because of the generation that they're in, that it'll stick more than it has for my generation and the generation before me, or even maybe the generation after me. I love the fact that Trevor Lawrence, what, a 20-year-old who's going to be a junior at the University of Clemson, and, and next podcast, I'll be getting into my thoughts about Dabo Sweeney and college coaches, both football and basketball, what they can do to kind of help move the charge and if there's anything that they should do to help move the charge in terms of what we need to do to further the relationships and forge a better relationships with uh, black and whites and other uh, minorities in this country. But getting back to Trevor Lawrence, he tweeted that I'm siding with my brothers that deal and continuously deal with things that I will never experience. The injustice is clear and so is the hate. It can no longer be explained away. If you're still explaining it, check your heart and ask why. That's from Trevor fucking Lawrence, man. That's from Trevor Lawrence, who in seven, eight years might be the most recognizable face in the game of football and the most popular sport in this country. Maybe in North America, this guy already has this mindset. This guy already has these types of feelings and thoughts and opinions. 
And I don't think that they're bullshit. I don't think that some PR guy got to him and said, this is what we need to say, or some lawyer or some family friend wrote this out to him. No, man, this is what Trevor Lawrence is saying in his heart. Man, that's hopeful. That's inspirational. Yes, because Trevor Lawrence is going to be taking care of me when, if I live to be 75 or 80 years old, this is the type of guy, this is his generation is going to be taking care of me, both black and white and Hispanic and Jewish and gay and Christian and, you know, everything else in between. So when I see the younger generation who are white saying these type of things and saying, I'm siding with my brothers, I, I believe him. I'm sincere when he's like, yeah, my brothers on my football team, my friends, my homies are all these things. They're black. They're black. So guess what? When they talk about these things, I listen. I don't sit there and go, ah, oh, well, yeah, yeah, ah, you know, come on, this, that, and the other. I've never been stopped. I've never been this, that, and the other. Ah, you guys, well, you know, he was wearing a hoodie. Or, ah, you know, he had a he had a record. He had a, you know, he was a convicted felon before. Ah, you know, no, man, no, 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 no. Carson Wentz, what, North Dakota? Where's he from? One of the Dakotas? North, South, East, West, whatever. Carson Wentz, Joe Burrow, when they condemn racism and all these things, I, I truly believe them. And I truly believe that Carson Wentz and Joe Burrow and folks of his generation, Derek Carr, folks of his generation, not, not all, but a decent good number of people are willing to go the next step. Peyton Manning and Drew Brees and Tom Brady and those guys, yeah, I'm quite sure none of those guys are sitting there talking about, yeah, you know what, we need to have blacks be second-class citizens again. Is there any way that we can get them back picking cotton and not being able to vote and we can buy and sell them, cook them and eat them? I mean, is there anything, is there any way that we can go back to doing that again? Jeez. I mean, I gotta play with these black guys for God's sake. Good Lord have mercy. Such a such a horrible thing to do. No, I don't think I don't think I'm very very sure that Drew Brees and Ben Roethlisberger and Eli Manning and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and those great quarterbacks from that generation. I'm quite sure they don't have anything uh, as far as that is concerned in their thoughts and their feelings. But I also think that those guys, because of the generation that they grew up in because the times that they grew up in never really had to face that situation in terms of, yeah, I'm willing to condemn racism. And what more can I do than just say I condemn racism? I think the situation that, you know, Carson Wentz and the times that we're living in with Carson Wentz, the age group that he is and Trevor Lawrence and those guys and Joe Burrow and those guys and Derek Carr and those guys. And I'm just naming off some of the guys that are the quote unquote more of the known faces and known names within college football. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is saying this. This was a man who was born in Georgia and is playing football at Clemson. I mean, this ain't the guy who's coming from the most diverse population in the world. I mean, this guy is not coming from New York City or Washington, D.C. or Los Angeles, California or anything like that. I mean, you know, we're talking about a guy who was born in, you know, Georgia and playing football in Clemson, South Carolina. Not the uh, most diverse places that you can play. And it's, these are the feelings that he has. And I believe in sincerity. I really do. That's the effect and impact LeBron James has had on sports and society. When that bitch, Laura Ingram, that's right, I called her a fucking cunt bitch. When that bitch is talking about you need to shut up and dribble, no bitch, you need to shut up and pay attention. Because that's the effect that LeBron James has had. Now, the folks of Laura Ingram and her ilk and that generation and my generation that that's not going to have the same impact. LeBron James is not going to have the same impact on our generation that he's going to have on that younger generation. We're my generation, the generation before me, 
We're too stuck in our ways for the most part. We can change a little bit, but for the most part, we're kind of are who we are for the most part. You know, white folks of my generation, the older generation, I mean, we ain't, I mean, if white folks started calling me calling, you know, black folks niggers and all that kind of stuff and burning crosses and, and, and looting and burning um, places and residents because of the color of their skin, most, I don't want to say most, a lot of white folks probably sit there and say, see, I'm not racist. I would never go ahead and dis disrespect or disregard you because of the color of your skin. I would never have any type of violence toward you because of the color of your skin. I would never, you know, deny you anything because of the color of, of your skin. So how can I be racist? How can I be part of the problem? It's you black folks over there who keep whining and complaining about we need this and we need that and we want this and we want that and you're not willing to go out and work for it and get it. That's, the, that's, that's your problem, not my problem. That's a lot of my generation and the generation before me. That's... That's their mindset. And for the most part, that's not going to change. But for the younger generation, I'm hopeful that the impact of LeBron James is going to have a better effect. But, you know, I mean, Muhammad Ali had an effect. Didn't have an effect on everybody. You can't change everybody. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, you know, it's getting to the point in our country. And I'll say this right now. The election come November is really going to come down to who you're down with and how serious are you about your cause, about this cause? Because again, I've seen just an overwhelming, like, oh, Black Lives Matter, we're down, racial injustice, it's got to end. It's like people now are just kind of bending over backward to kind of get that point across. You know what I'm talking about? Companies and folks on the other side of the tracks. Oh man, they are just, oh, Black Lives Matter and we're down and this, that, and the other and we're down with, you know, we're down with uniting and everything like that. Okay, all right, all right. Let's 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 put your money where your mouth is come November, because if you vote for the current person that's in the White House now, you show me you're showing me that you're really not serious about systematic racism and oppression and racial injustice and the advantage of white privilege in this country. You're not. You you can't have it both ways. You can't say, yeah, you know, I'm down with it, and I'm, you know, I, I gotta, we gotta stop this out. We gotta come together, and we gotta unite. And we gotta learn from each other, and I gotta do a better job listening and all those type of things. And then you turn around and vote for the person who has done nothing except divide us in this country for over four years. You can't have it both ways, and then give me the excuse of, well, you know, the economy's great. You know, I love that. The economy is great. So the fact that this guy is a racist and is a piece of shit and has done nothing to bring and unite this country together on top of the fact that he's a liar and he's an asshole and he's amoral and he's a crook and he's corrupt and he's a piece of garbage. But the economy is great. But, you know, I didn't lose my job. But I got a $5 raise and all these other things. The stock market is doing great. You can't have it both ways. Well, you know, the Democrat would be worse. Joe Biden has dementia. Joe Biden is a sexual predator. Joe Biden is a pedophile. Joe Biden this. Joe Biden in 1994 voted for the um, Crime Act bill. So he's just as bad as the person that we have in the White House right now. He's just as divisive. He's just as racist. No, no. Sorry. Boo. You cannot go that route. You can't do that. You can't do that. So if you're willing to sit there and say, you know, I'm willing to vote for reelect the person that we have in the White House now, despite the ample evidence that show that he fucking does not care about black people, brown people, poor people, anybody except his fucking self. So if you're willing to go ahead and do that, then you ain't down with what's going on. Then you ain't down with stamping out 
racism and oppression and racial injustice and the advantage of white privilege and police brutality. None of that stuff. None of that stuff. So there, there's always going to be those who, who who will continue to practice, encourage, and, broad, and uh, broadcast modern day racism and bigotry and discrimination. And they'll always do that. We're not asking, no one's saying that racism is going to go away. Crime will always be here. Disease will always be here. Racism will always be here. It's just, just the way it is. It ain't, it ain't an American thing. It's a worldwide thing. We're always going to have crime. We're always going to have criminals. We're always going to have racists on, on, from every community. We're always going to have black folks who are racist. We're always going to have white folks who are racist. We're always going to have Hispanic folks that are racist. We're always going to have women who are racist. We're always going to have that. It's not, that's not going to change. But we can make it better by the time that I finally get reunited with my parents if I live long enough, even though because my mom's still living right now, by the time I reunite with my parents, I mean, maybe I can leave this world a lot better than it was June 6th. 2020 in terms of how we deal with with each other, how we talk to each other, how we love each other, how we're unified together. But we're never going to be a utopian society where none of this stuff exists. No. Hate in, through ignorance is a very lucrative industry, y'all. I mean, look how rich Rush Limbaugh and Laura Ingram and Larry Elder and Glenn Beck and that fucking idiot Alex Jones and that sellout Paris Denard and Bill O'Reilly and Michael Savage and that coon Candace Owen and Ann Coulter and Lou Dobbs and Tucker Carlson. They're always going to be in demand to get fat paychecks because they promote hate, because they promote division, because they promote intolerance, because they promote bigotry. Because they promote divisiveness. Because they promote privilege. <clears throat> That's always going to be there. Because people, there's always going to be people who are going to be, who are going to be um, <clears throat> affirmation. They're, they want affirmation in their racism. I need someone to let me know that it's all right, that I have these racist, ignorant, bigoted thoughts when it comes to black people or when it comes to Hispanics or when it comes to different groups of people. Rush Limbaugh can give you that affirmation. Larry Elder can give you that affirmation. Candace Owens can give you that affirmation. Uh, Paris Denard can give you that affirmation. Michael Savage can give you that affirmation. Tucker Carlson can give you that affirmation. Fox and Fools can give you that affirmation. So it's always there. And because of that, they'll be paid seven figures, eight figures, And it doesn't matter how much of a coon or a sellout or a house Negro that Larry Elder is willing to let himself be or Paris Denard or Brandon Tatum or Candace Owens. It doesn't matter. They'll find out just like Diamond and Silk did, just like Stacey Dash did, that when these people who who promote hate, when these people who promote bigotry, when these people who promote divisiveness, when these people who promote nothing but white privilege, when they no longer need you, and you're black, they will throw you aside. They will get rid of you. Candace Owens, bitch, you ain't nothing but a fucking pawn. Paris Denard, you fucking clown, you are nothing but a fucking pawn in their game. You are being used. You are being made a fool of. Brandon Tucker, Diamond, you were, you are being made fools of by white folks. When you come out here and you talk about your stupidity about Black Lives Matter, 
when you come out here and talk about, well, you know, George Floyd really doesn't need to be made to be a hero because he had a criminal record, and then go on there and talk about the criminal record and, and talk about the things that he was uh, arrested for or whatever. House Negro to the hilt. When they no longer need you, fools, don't come over to our side because we don't want you. We don't need you. We don't want everything to do with you. Just because skin folks don't make you your kin folks. You know what I'm saying? So hate will always find a home for people like that. Kurt Schilling, Ben Shapiro, Travis, uh, Trey Clavis, Trey, Trey Clavis, huh? Clay Travis. Are always, see how angry I get? I start calling people Clay Travis. Clay Travis, they'll always have jobs. Kurt Schilling will always find a place to voice his bigotry, whether it be through blogs, whether it be through podcasting, whether it be through... Uh, 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 another way of broadcasting Ben Shapiro is always going to have his followers Clay Travis always going to have his followers always going to give people people will always give him a platform to spout his bullshit to spout his ignorance to spout his nonsense to spout his divisiveness so it's it's always there so it's always going to be there the great thing about it though moving forward is that we have those in the younger generation and I always just want to mention some people, like I mentioned before in the NFL, both black and white. Again, as I mentioned in my last broadcast, man, on my last podcast, sometimes it just seems like, man, you know, we're not, we're not getting anywhere. We're not moving anywhere. You know, we're going backwards. But when you're not looking at the Twitter comments, when you're not looking at the Yahoo uh, uh, comments, when you're not listening to some of these ignorant folks on, on Fox and Fools and Fox News and all that type of stuff, when you're not listening to uh, right-wing radio, when you're not listening to that bullshit and you kind of broaden the scope to see what other folks are doing, hope, helpfulness. Hopefully things will turn around. Do things, do things such as police brutality, is it the situation where it seems like we haven't gone anywhere? Yeah, it sure does. Shit that's been happening 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago still happening today. And we need to change. And we demand change. And then we have to burn this fucking country to the ground and rebuild it. Then that's what we have to do. But within saying that, even with the brutality, even as horrible as it is, slightly, there's been some movement. A little bit of movement. Slight movement. Not nearly enough. But there had been some movement forward. And hopefully... With this generation that we have coming forward, Carson Wentz, J.J. Savage. J.J. Savage, fuck you. J.J. Watt. <laughs> He's a savage, ain't he? J.J. Watt. Um, as I mentioned before, Carson Wentz, Joe Burrow, and other white players and the influence that they have moving forward. Trevor Lawrence, the young group. Maybe, just maybe, if this earth and this world is still around in 50, 100 years, the Lord doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to uh, scrap it and do a do-over. If the earth is still around, if civilization is still around in 75, 100 years when I'm long gone, maybe these things will be nothing more than an afterthought and something for the history books.
Wonderful World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Headed for home. Down the stretch I come. Speaking about what's going on in the world of sports, I'm going to be saving a lot of my stuff because coming up in the next nine days, June, June 19th, I want to celebrate the life of Len Bias. For those who don't know who Len Bias is, let me just say this. In college, he was better than Michael Jordan. What? Him and Michael Jordan played together in college. ACC, Bias was at Maryland. Jordan was at North Carolina. Um, even when Michael Jordan was winning player of the year and doing all the things, Len Bias was a better basketball player. Died in 1986. I'll go into that later. But in terms of my heroes growing up, there was Ali, there was Magic Johnson, and then there was Len Bias, and then there were those who played for Georgetown University. So the basketball team, Georgetown University. So I will be speaking about Len Bias on an upcoming podcast, one of my special remembrances or whatever. Well, I'm just going a little bit away from what's going on in the world of sports and the world around it and talk about reminisce, reminisce like my man Pete Rock and C.L. Smooth. So those are the things that I'll be talking about upcoming on my uh, podcast. Also going to be getting to more about, you know, sports are starting. As I mentioned, man, you know, the NBA is going to be returning. Hockey's going to be returning. I'm not going to be talking about that, but hockey's going to be returning. And there's just some other stuff like NFL news is uh, happening in terms of players actually getting ready to play football. I'm going to talk about college football. I mean, hell, that's less than, what, 90 days, 95 days? So I want to get into all of those things. But I just want to get mostly the stuff about racial injustice. There's still, there's still some stuff that we need to talk about. I'm not going to completely, you know, put it to the side and, you know, once the sports resume that, you know, these type of discussions I'm going to table like forever. But, you know, I still think that we're still in the time frame to where these things I'm talking about concerning racial injustice, police brutality, and what we need to do to come together. I think these are still important topics that we need to discuss. So, yes, I will be discussing those. But getting to the NBA, season's going to resume on July 31st inside Walt Disney's World ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex. Wide World of Sports. Adrian Wojnarowski dropped the bomb on us. Explain exactly what happens next with the NBA. Players Association, uh, the team representatives, and their leadership, Chris Paul, Michelle Roberts, they've walked the players through a lot of the details of what life will be like for players in the Disney bubble from a basketball perspective and from living arrangements. And they just conducted the vote. Uh, it passed unanimously. And now the Players Association leadership, they'll sit back down with the NBA here over the next several days. And there's still some more elements and details, such as details on testing, uh, uh, security, all the things that are going to go into this environment. Uh, but the two sides now have the approval they need to proceed and, and, and resume the NBA season in July uh, in Orlando. Yeah, I think for players, you know, there's a lot of questions about getting back into market, getting back to practice with their teams and how that's going to play out. The expectation is that teams will not be able to do full five-on-five practices until they get to Orlando. So they'll report back to their marketplaces. They'll continue in one-on-o or two-on-o settings. But until the players are quarantined uh, and the testing is uh, going on every day, they still don't want the players uh, to have that contact with each other, with their coaches and staff. So the NBA PA and their player reps explain to their teammates details 
what it's going to be like living and playing in Orlando, Orlando under those conditions. The vote to play was passed unanimously, and then the next step is finalizing the other questions about testing and player security, and also from the audio, teams will not be holding regular practices under until they're in Orlando, and players will report back to their cities and work out individually, one-on-one, or you know that type of thing. They won't be having full full-blown practices, even though it wouldn't surprise me if you know LeBron James got his boys together in terms of his players together and went through some stuff. The same thing with you know Russell Westbrook and James Harden and Giannis and those type of things. I know that they're not supposed to be doing that, but I'm quite sure the one-on-zero and the two-on-zero. I don't think that's going to be happening. I don't think it really has been happening. You can't stop these guys from going ahead and doing that, but uh, I think that's going to be the case. So basically the question is going to be, you know, how are the players going to adapt to their new environment? And how, and that's going to be a key to the success. As I mentioned before, man, I mean, there's going to be some situations where you take a look at the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, this was a team that was dominant at home, one of the elite franchises at home, and now, they're going to be going to a place where they're not going to have home court advantage. Now, the good thing for the Philadelphia 76ers is the fact that they were absolutely horrid on the road, so they won't have to be playing any of their games on the road. But the situation, what is Ben Simmons going to be looking like when he comes back after you know he was going to be out for a significant amount of time with a foot injury, back injury, leg injury, one of those injuries when the season was postponed? What has Joel Embiid been doing? to try to get himself in shape. What are the players going to be looking like? Who's going to be able to adapt to the new environment that surrounds, surrounds them? So it'll be interesting moving forward what's going to be happening with the NFL and the NBA, especially now with the NBA as they reconvene. I'm looking forward to it. I really am. I've always mentioned before that I was one of these guys who was like, you know what, unless there's players... Lots of these players are going to be playing in front of fans and all this kind of stuff and everything is going to get back to normal. I'm more than happy with having the 2019-2020 season be canceled and we move forward from there. But, you know, as I mentioned before, everything that sparked for me in terms of bringing sports back, even if it's going to be a modified version in terms of what I'm used to watching these guys play, is when I watched the USC, the Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje uh, card. And while there was nobody in the stand, I was totally enthralled with the uh, fights and the performances. And I was just kind of like, yeah, I can get used to this. I can definitely get used to this. The play, the action, the environment, the atmosphere might not be the same with NBA players playing on neutral courts under these conditions without any fans. But man, I'm just willing, ready to go in terms of getting my NBA juices flowing again. Same thing with football, man. Same thing with college football. And if they're not going, why do I care? When's the last time I'm going to? I'm not going to any. I'm not going to any Los Angeles Raiders football games. So why do I give a fuck if there's fans in the stands or not? So I'm just really, you know, juicing, jonesing to get some uh, sports back, some live sports back. Other than uh, the UFC, other than boxing, Shakur Stevenson was on last night, and uh, you know, soccer, football. And NASCAR. I want the I want the big boys in terms of the football and the basketball. Notice I didn't mention baseball. Baseball's getting to the point with me now where it's like, look, look man, I, I don't really don't give a fuck. Because now with the announcement that the NBA is gonna be coming back in July and football starts on time, I really don't need major league baseball. I really don't. You're talking about a league and look, it made ten billion dollars last year, so I'm gonna I'm not saying that it's in trouble by any stretch of the imaginations, but you know, there's some things that baseball needs to do to improve its, its quality of the game before I can get back to being the fan that I was when I was a kid. I used to love baseball when I was a kid, man. 
Baltimore Orioles were never my team, but you know, you're talking about 1979, the Pittsburgh Pirates with Willie Stargell and Tent Colby and uh, you know Bill Matlock and Dave Cobra Parker and those guys and the We Are Family. They beat you know the Baltimore Orioles at that time with John Lennonby Lowenstein and Al Bumbry and Rick Dempsey and the, the Tippy and Tito Martinez and. I don't think Jim Palmer was on that was on that squad, but you know I remember that series. I remember the '84. No, what was it? The uh, one of the what was the year the Twins won the uh, won their first. What was the what was the year the Twins and the Atlanta Braves, the best series I've ever seen. Well, I, 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 but basically what I'm trying to say is that I was I've always been a really good baseball fan, but I mean you know the pace of play and these other things have really turned me off to the game to the point where it's like again if they come back. Great. If they don't, I really don't give a fuck. So baseball better do what it can do to, uh, you know, see what they can do to make some changes in the game if and when they ever come back. But we don't know. But the NBA coming back soon. NBA coming back July 31st. Man, I can't wait. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. I want to end with this. My man, Greg Popovich. Love this guy. Love, love, love this guy. This is the reason why him, along with Roger Federer, are the people that I admire most in sports currently. Now, I don't know Greg Popovich. I don't know Roger Federer. I'm quite sure those guys have their faults. I'm quite sure those guys don't walk on water. I'm quite sure those guys are, you know, I'm quite sure those guys aren't perfect human beings. None of us are. But in terms of of what I know of them and their actions and everything, Roger Federer and Greg Popovich are the, to me, if I could use this cliche, the cream of the crop. Um, Greg Popovich, the head coach of the San Antonio Spurs, came out with a video in terms of, he was speaking about what society needs to do about bringing unity and racial harmony together. It's almost in a strange, counterintuitive sort of way, the best teaching moment of this most recent tragedy, I think, was the look on the officer's face for white people to see how nonchalant, how casual, how just every day going about his job, so much so that he could just put his left hand in his pocket, wriggle his knee around a little bit to teach this person some sort of a lesson. And it was his right and his duty to do it in his mind. I don't know. I think I'm just embarrassed as a white person to know that that can happen, uh, to actually watch a lynching. You know, we've all seen books, and you look in the books, and you see black people hanging up on trees. And you, you are amazed that we just saw it again. I, I never thought I'd see that. 
you know, with my own eyes in real time. It's important that we as white people, because I think nothing's going to happen. We have to do it. Black people have been shouldering this burden for 400 years. The only reason this nation has made the progress it has is because of the persistence and patience and effort of black people. Uh, you know, the, the, the history of our nation from the very beginning in many ways was a lie. And we continue to this day, mostly black and brown people, to try to make that lie a truth so that it's no longer a lie. And those rights and privileges are enjoyed by people of color, just like we enjoy them. So it's got to be us, in my opinion, that speak truth to power, that call it out no matter what the consequences. We have to speak. We have to not let anything go. It's just a situation that is very similar to me. It's like the, the gun arguments. What's it going to take? Two more black people with knees in their necks? I don't think so. I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, how many more Sandy Hooks do we have to have? It's easy for people to let things go because it doesn't involve them. It's like the neighborhood where you know there's a dangerous corner and you know that something's going to happen someday and nobody does anything. And then a young kid gets killed and a stop sign goes up. Well, without getting too political, we got a lot of stop signs that need to go up quickly because our country is in trouble. And the basic reason is race. Love, love, love me some Greg Popovich, man. Love me some Greg Popovich. The country is in trouble. He's embarrassed as a white person to know that George Floyd could die in such a horrific way as a police officer with a knee on Floyd's neck went about his job in such a nonchalant, casual manner. The fact of how emotional that he was getting given. I love the guy, man. I absolutely love Greg Popovich. And, uh, you know, he, he's one of these guys who gets it. And I just wanted to play that for you because my admiration, I mean, I know that he can be kind of salty when it comes to uh, interviewing. And you could even say, you could even say a little Trumpy-ish, especially when he's talking to some of the female reporters during the in-between interviews. He could be a little mean. He could be a little nasty. He could be a little condescending. He could be a little arrogant. He could be a little chauvinistic. Well, maybe a lot. But the overall general man. And Doris Burke and all of those, and Michelle Tavoya, they all say that, look, you know, when he does this to us, the one thing is that that's just one part in terms of other dealings with Coach Popovich. I mean, he's nothing but nice. He's nothing but considerate. He's nothing but... You know, a gentleman, he's all of those things. It's just in that certain time period and everything, that's the way he is. Now, the way he treated Craig Sager, the way he treated David Aldridge, the way he treated everybody else, the male um, uh, sideline reporters, I mean, he was just as mean and just as nasty. So it wasn't like he was answering the questions and giving 10 minutes to Willowquist on what was happening. And then when a female interviewer asked him a question, he cut her, he was curt and rude and obnoxious and, and nasty. Oh, he's like that with everybody. So it's like, and only Coach Popovich could turn something like that 
and to must-watch television. It's like, okay, here was a guy who was basically, I mean, he wasn't doing it on purpose, but he sort of kind of was in terms of, look, this is kind of like my protest to say that this in-between interviews between the second and fourth quarters or whatever, the start of the second and fourth quarters, this is bullshit, this is nonsense, this is stupid, this is inane, and, you know, this is his way of pouting. This is his way of acting childish and voicing his displeasure about it, what to be kind of mean and curt and nasty and all those type of things. And, and, and also in part of, look, he, you know, he's coaching a basketball game right now. You know, he's, he's in basketball coach mode. I mean, you know, it's kind of hard to sit there and be wonderful and flowery and, and pleasant when, you know, you're in the, in, when you're in the battle of a basketball game. But, you know, that was kind of his way to say, you know, this is my way of protesting. And he turned those mean and nasty and type of things as far as the sideline reporters and interviewing the first and third quarters he turned that into must-watch television to where it's kind of like, now we want you to be mean, curt, and nasty, and all those type of things because we just sit there and we crack up. So my man, Greg Popovich, love him, love him to death. Hey, before I leave, before I say adios, goodbye, sayonara, take it easy, peace with this podcast, I want to thank you very much for listening. I got to give credit where credit is due, all right? Now, I made a statement uh, last podcast where I was talking about Oh, Michael Jordan, you know, he hadn't made a statement. He hasn't done anything and blah, blah, blah. And I was, you know, him and Tiger Woods, I kind of took the task a little bit about their lack of making a statement or when everybody else was voicing their displeasure about what happened with uh, George Floyd that, you know, Jordan really didn't come out with anything. He was too busy with the NBA when it's going to be coming back and everything. He didn't have the time or the energy or the or the thoughtfulness to go ahead and have one of his minions write out a, I'm so sorry, this is horrible, this is terrible, we'll do better, condolences to George Floyd and the, those who have suffered police brutality, you know, didn't have the time, didn't have the inclination, didn't have the awareness, didn't have the thoughtfulness at the time to do that. And that was pretty much my basis for what I said on my podcast, the last uh, podcast. Well, I'm here to own up and say that in one part I was, I was wrong, that Jordan didn't make a statement. In his statement he said that I'm deeply saddened, truly Pain and plain angry. I stand with those who are calling out the ingrained racism and violence toward people of color in our country. We have had enough. I don't have the answers, but our collective voices show strength and the inability to be divided by others. We must listen to each other, show compassion and empathy, and never turn our backs on senseless brutality. We need to be to continue peaceful expression against injustice and demand accountability. Our unified voice needs to be needs to put pressure on our leaders to change our laws or else we need to use our voice our vote to create systematic change every one of us needs to be part of the solution and we must work together to ensure justice for all now he said this on sunday he was joined by uh, la clippers coach doc rivers and the phoenix suns coach bonnie williams two black coaches who stress the urgent need for immediate change and he also said that he's going to be donating $100 million to organizations dedicated to promoting racial equality and social justice. He said that the Jordan, the Jordan brand will pay money over 10 years with the goal of ensuring racial equality, social justice, and greater access to education. So look, this is what, this is what I think we have to wrap our minds around, especially um, my community, black folks, when it comes to Michael Jordan. Because Michael Jordan has always been bashed by those because he doesn't do enough for the community. He's not outspoken enough. And I always talk about, well, Muhammad Ali would have done this. Muhammad Ali would have said this. 
I'm at the point where, look, man, you know what? Would I like to have Michael Jordan shout and scream and do all those type of things? Maybe, possibly. But you know what? I think Michael Jordan, if he wants a role in terms of what he can do for the fight for black power, which equates to a better country and a more loving, understanding, educated society, I think with Jordan, this is the guy who, if he's going to be helping the cause, do it from the financial standpoint. Okay, do it with more of his money than his mouth. Look, not everybody can be Malcolm or Martin or Medgar or James Baldwin or Ali or La or LeBron or H. Rap Brown or Jim Brown. Not not everybody can be that. Not everybody can be a, a flamethrower. Not everybody can get out there and cause the white man to be uncomfortable. All right, not not everybody has that skill. Michael Jordan doesn't have that skill. I don't know if all of a sudden Michael Jordan wanted to come out and start shouting and screaming and black lives and, you know, white folks need to do this and white folks are bullshitting. This. I don't think that would be effective for the movement that we're trying to make if Michael Jordan all of a sudden said that he wants to become a modern day Muhammad Ali in terms of giving his thoughts and feelings and opinions about things. We don't need, uh, we don't need Michael Jordan to want to be Malcolm X. We don't, we don't need that. What we need him to do though and we need him and other people who's got some money, but black folks who's got some money, we need them folks to help fund movements and rebuild communities across this country and the world when it comes to our neighborhoods, when it comes to our schools, when it comes to our, you know, our neighborhoods. That's what we need Michael Jordan for. Money equates power of all forms, especially the most important form of political power, man. That's what we're talking about. I, I looked it up. As of 2020, there's only five black folks in this country who are billionaires. Jay-Z, Michael Jordan, Oprah Winfrey, this guy Dave Stewart who built his fortune running an IT service provider that has city, Verizon, and federal governments as clients. And then we've got this guy Robert, Robert L. Smith who's got more money than fucking God, built his multi-billion dollar fortune running private equity firms, Vista Equity Partners, the Business Insider previously reported that Vista is one of the most successful private equity firms in the nation with more than $46 billion cha-ching in assets and posting annualized returns of 22%. Man, look, we need Oprah money. We need Michael Jordan money. We need Jay-Z money. We need Dave Stewart money. We need Robert L. Smith money. We need Bob Johnson money. We need that type of money in terms of what we can do to help move this community. As I mentioned before, if you got folks who are shouting and screaming and doing all those type of things and you ain't got any money behind it, you ain't got shit. You ain't got nothing. Nada. But if you got some folks like Jordan and Stewart and Smith and Oprah and Jigga who are going to sit there and be like, you know what? We are going to be supporting them folks. We are going to be giving money to those communities. We're going to be seeing what we can do. Magic Johnson back in the 80s and 90s and even today. Well, he was doing with building businesses in the black community to where, guess what? Black folks don't have to go to white communities to spend their money. They can keep their dollars within that community with that community can, can continue to grow and be self-sufficient. That's what we're talking about, man. That's where the power comes in, as I mentioned before on this podcast. So, look, everybody sits there and poo-poos and talks about, oh, you know, the easy thing to do is to throw money at the problem. No, it ain't. No, it ain't. Ask them poor folks. Ask them folks who don't have money. Ain't nobody who's poor is going to turn down money. There ain't nobody from a poor neighborhood, from a black community is going to turn down the opportunity for someone to build them something better. 
build them somewhere where they can go, build them something to throw money into a situation to make their community, to make their block, to make their street, to make their environment better. Only a fool would sit there and be like, nah, fuck you, man. Unless you're going to come down here and shout and scream and give us a speech, you can keep your goddamn money. No, give us your goddamn money. Give us all your money. Give us enough money to make sure that we can rebuild our community. So yeah, man, you need one or the other. You need both, as I mentioned before. I mean, you know, uh, uh, your, your boy, not my boy, anybody who was involved in the murder of Malcolm X definitely ain't my boy, boy, so I got no love for Louis Farrakhan. I got no love for nothing, for Elijah Poole, also known as Elijah Muhammad. Ain't nothing honorable about that man, so you, I'm never going to call him. You know, that gang that chastised and threw out Malcolm X, the Nation of Islam, uh-uh, no, no love for him. Anybody who... Anybody who was responsible for stunting the growth and stunting the movement of black people in this country, like the Nation of Islam and Elijah Poole and Louis Farrakhan did by murdering Malcolm X, I got no love for him at all. But the thing is, is that, look, Farrakhan is always up there talking about, I go down to this neighborhood, I go down to this poor community, I go down to this poor uh, mosque and all this type of stuff, and I get up there and I talk and I talk about we need to do this and we need to do that and you can hang in there and you need to do that. And then I get back into my fancy car and I go back to my fancy neighborhood. That's, you know, I don't, I don't, need, I don't need rich folks. If I'm poor and living in the ghetto or living in the inner city where I don't have, you know, proper... You know, things to live, if I don't have a place, and if I don't have a decent home to live, or I don't have an opportunity to get a job, or there's no jobs in my community for me to get, or there's no transportation, or there's no running water, or there's crime and violence, and there's hunger and despair, and there's nothing but oppression in my community, I don't need no motherfucker coming down in a thousand dollar suit and a $50,000 BMW or whatever, sit up there on the block talking about stay strong, you can do this, have faith, work hard, believe, resist temptations, you can do it, we're all in this together. Then they get back into their $50,000 Beamer, and then they go to the other side of the tracks in terms of the rich area of town, and then that's it. And then leave me with nothing. Leave me with nothing but what, hopes and dreams? Hopes and dreams ain't gonna put food on my table tonight. Hopes and dreams ain't gonna allow me to pay my bills. Hopes and dreams ain't going to allow me to keep a roof on my head for tonight, for next month. I need for you to do something for me economically, man. If you come down here and say, we can provide, you can do this, we can do that. And then you pledge to go ahead and build ourselves, build yourself a restaurant, build yourself a beauty shop, build yourself a law office, build yourself something to where we can actually get a job. If you're willing to pledge to where, guess what? We can get some folks where we can rebuild some of our communities, rebuild some of the places that we live. Man, that's progress. Yeah, I'll fucking take your money. I don't need a speech. I don't need some guy talking about here, like I mentioned before. I don't need no rich motherfucker who's making 10, 15, 20 million dollars a year, lives on the biggest house in town, and drives the fanciest cars in town to come down here and tell me that you can do it, you can do it, get back in this car and then leave? Shit, give me your money. I need your money. So I think with Michael Jordan, that's what he can do. Michael Jordan can be that guy. When you have the social, the social workers, 
and you have the preachers and you have those leaders in the community talking about what we need to do to curb uh, violence and what we need to do to take care of the younger generation and to make sure that our schools are being taken care of, make sure that our neighborhoods are taken care of, make sure that there's no crime and there's no violence in our communities where black folks aren't going to be shooting black folks where, you know, folks can go outside and play and those type of things. While we have those folks on the one side working to get those things together, we need those on the other side to lend us, the not lend us, to give us the money to invest in our communities to make that happen. And if Michael Jordan wants to give $100 million over the next 10 years to help those who need it, to help communities that need it, to help organizations that need it, to help other communities, to help those communities, to help downtrodden communities, give it to him. Give the give it to them. And for those who are receiving it, thank him. Say thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Hey, Bill Gates is a willing participant in helping us out. You know, we just need those who are who are um you know willing to do that. But so I think my attitude toward Michael Jordan and his and his down with the cause has changed because of that. Not everybody can be a bomb thrower. I mean, for every H. Rep. Brown, we also need an Arthur Ashe, right? There's different ways. You know, Malcolm was talking about by any means necessary. Martin was talking about peaceful protesting. Neither was wrong. Neither was, you know, we both, not, not, not everybody can do one thing. Give you, give you different opportunities. If you don't want to shout and scream, you can march in silence. If you want your voice to be heard, you can shout and scream. You know, if you want to throw your money at things, throw your money at things. Throw it all. Throw as much as you want. And if you want to do, uh, help the cause by doing something else, avenues. You know, give us different things that we can do. You know, so there you go. All right, I'm out of here, man. I'm good. I'm good. I want to thank you very much for listening to the podcast. In return, you have yourself a great day. And in turn, you have yourself a wonderful time. In turn, you, in turn just keep on doing what you need to do to become a better person, to become a better friend, to become a better husband, to become a better father, to become a better mother, to become a better lover, to become a better human being. That's what we all need to do, man. That's what we all need to do. So let's start, not yesterday. Let's not start in 10 minutes. Let's not start in two seconds. Let's start right now. Music. Music.